In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O treasure of every good and bestower of life, come and dwell us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O good one. Sit down. As the saying goes, the Orthodox Church blesses the first marriage, performs the second, tolerates the third, and forbids the fourth. And also, in another one which says, the first marriage is the law, the second is done out of forgiveness, the third is a transgression. So to explain that, that's, we've covered a lot of this in the previous talks. This is now talk number five, if I remember correct, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58. This is the fifth talk on marriage. There's a few more to go. The church blesses the first marriage because the first marriage is the law, meaning God has said man and woman would join and become one and what God has joined may no one separate. So that's the first marriage. Actually, some of the fathers actually say that there is only one marriage. Now, the second, it says here, it, the church does perform the second, but it's done out of forgiveness. And two talks before this, this is 58, 57. In 56, I went through a lot of detail about second marriages. Strictly speaking, the the one who caused the divorce, the main reason being for adultery, strictly speaking, shouldn't be allowed to get married because they're the ones that caused the divorce. The innocent party, the canons say, is allowed to get married. However, the, the service for a second marriage is one of forgiveness. So even though the person who is, having, who is getting married for the second time, it's not their fault, the church still looks at it as being a, what's it say here? It calls it uh, something which is somewhat a sin because there is only one marriage, proper marriage, as Christ himself said. However, today, due to the, the collapse of morals, the church tends to uh, even marry those who are the cause. Like in Greece, as I said, I spoke to someone who knows a, uh, a um, priest who is an expert in canon law, and he said that even in Greece, which is supposed to be more strict, they, they actually said that, uh, the, the, say, a man commits adultery, and then he, he leaves his wife to go with another woman, that the church even marries him. Well, before, they wouldn't do that. They were more strict on that. The third marriage, it says here, it's tolerated, but it's considered a transgression. 
In other words, it's like as we said, the second marriage is forgivable. Okay, you failed in the first, it's forgivable. But the third marriage, even though the church tolerates it, it still considers it as being a great transgression, meaning a very big sin. And that's why, strictly speaking, even though they don't keep it, people that get married for the third time are not allowed to commune for about five years, if I remember correctly. Um, and we went all through all that. Those who are interested can listen to that talk, 56. Now, in the last talk, I did uh, part A, which was about uh, not entertaining the thought and saying, oh, my husband will never change, my wife, she's going to be like that forever, there's no point, the marriage is finished, there's no hope, there's no future, there's only one solution, and that's divorce. And in that talk, I went through quite a lot of examples, and even in the life of St. Matthew the Apostle, in which the, the prince, even though he saw miracle after miracle after miracle, he became worse. But at the end, he repented. And I said that that's always something that I remember. When I get that thought, which says, oh, that person's never going to change, I always remember that particular life and other lives where you see people that committed the worst sins, people who were involved in the, in the destruction of monasteries and churches, the rape of nuns, the killings and things like that, who later on repented and even became saints. So we must never, ever have that thought. Only God knows who's not going to change. It's a blasphemy to actually say that someone's not going to change. And also, when the, when the situation does look very bad, St. Paul gives the advice where he says in 1 Corinthians, Now to the married I command, not, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Now, when I read that, some of you obviously would have got confused. Like when, when I first read it, I got confused until I understood by reading the explanations. If the woman is uh, separated, then how come he say she remain unmarried when she's married? There's been no divorce. And what it means by unmarried is not to remarry Remain unmarried. Stay if you need to stay separated for a while, which St. John Chrysostom even advises that, and do whatever you can to reconcile. Sometimes people are in a very bad state and that separation is necessary for a while. But today there's not even that. It's just we go from problems in a marriage, bang, it's time for divorce. And we also heard in the other talk the, how the Holy Fathers there, the elders, how they advise for when you've got all problems in your marriage, what to do. I'm not going to repeat them, that's part A. In part B of that talk, it was about those who were contemplating divorce. And Father John Christiankin, from the book May God Give You Wisdom, he actually said, it's easy to say, I'll get a divorce. He's, he's, a, he's writing to someone. It's easy to say that. You can say it when you are thinking only about yourself. So if the divorce is only something to do with you, then, then, then you can say it. But divorce is not only to do with the person themselves, but it's to do with the spouse and it's to do with the children if they're involved. What does it mean by the spouse? Well, 
what can happen is that the spouse who you left can lose themselves, lose their souls. So you always have to think, and not to be an egotist, and not only to think about yourself. That's what marriage is, is about. And there's no room for, for a person to be selfish in a marriage. Today, because selfishness has spread everywhere, there's a big problem. And people are selfish. They don't care. They don't think about the kids, the children. They don't think about their spouse. They don't think about anything but themselves. I'm not happy. I'm leaving. Or I don't feel love anymore. I'm leaving. But that's not how it works. The world today has, has um, created selfish people. And that's one of the reasons for divorces, selfishness. He also said to another person, you think about divorce, but he, your husband, will perish after you abandon him and your soul will not be at peace for the rest of your days. And a third one, you, you were ready with extraordinary ease to cut off half of yourself at a word, meaning Saint uh, Father John is saying, uh, it was a very great, he just died in 2006 or seven a great elder in, um, in Russia there, and he, he said that how can you cut off from someone who you are connected to, that he's your other half? Because when the, the husband and wife are married, they become one. He goes, how can you easily just do that, cut off someone, go, oh, I don't want you anymore, and cut yourself in half? And he goes, and from a person who was uninvolved, meaning that he wasn't even committing adultery. After all, husband and wife are one flesh. And part C, marriage breakup, I picked two parts there from what we read. There's a lot of things I read. But again, from Father John Christiankin's letters to people, he said, your marriage broke up not without your own guilt. You should have prayed out your wife and educated her in the faith. Now, that was very interesting. I explained that in detail, meaning, that's a Russian expression, pray out. And I said there that, People can say, it wasn't my fault that we divorced. It's never the person's fault. But he's saying here to this particular person, yeah, you are partly guilty. What did you do? Did you pray for your spouse? What did you do to try to keep your marriage? People tend to forget that the church has all these things available, blessings, prayers, to keep the marriage. However, people don't run to that. They go to some. Um, they go to um, some of them go to counselors. That's okay a little bit. Depends what they're saying. But how about the church? How about the prayers? Just one prayer from a priest can actually save a marriage, and I've seen that time and time again. And it's nice here where he says, you are not without guilt. And hence, for any marriage, even if the person did not commit adultery and the other person did, one has to examine whether the innocent party had something to do with it. Was the person, was the innocent spouse cold? Were they rough? Were they rude? Were they unloving, which could have led to the other person committing adultery? And I've seen that so many times. Husbands not shown any affection, wives, etc. So they go and seek 
other people. So all because the person themselves didn't commit adultery, it doesn't mean that they are free of guilt. And that's why for all divorces, there is the innocent party is back in the um, stricter days, even those people who didn't commit adultery were given a penance of one to two years not to commune, even though they themselves didn't commit adultery, let's just say. And number two, another letter, your wife does not want to live with you because you have become a stranger and unknown to her, but have, but have you done anything to make her share in the joy of your, of your discovered treasure? This, in other words, is, a, is a, a couple, both weren't church people, one of them changes, becomes religious, and the wife, seeing a change, a dramatic change, doesn't want to live with her husband. Now, some of you might say, well, that's fair enough. What is the person going to deny their faith to make happy the unbeliever? No. But what does he say? What have you done to share in, share in your joy? You don't have to deny your faith. So we've got a couple. Both of them didn't really believe. One of them changes. The other person doesn't change. They still, they, they still don't want to go to church. They don't believe. This person over here doesn't have to uh, deny their faith. But what they are obligated to do is to show love. If this person that doesn't believe looks at their spouse, which is now a believer, and goes to church and confesses and communes, and is rude, and is fanatical, and is judgmental, and is unloving, and is too pure to even have marital relations, obviously that's going to put a strain. And we're going to come to the marital relations another time where that causes a lot of problems. Some women, for example, they change, they become religious. Their husband looks at them and says, that's not the person I married. This looks like the iceberg which sank the Titanic. This is a, a cold person. This person doesn't want to have sexual relations. This person doesn't want to hug. This person doesn't want to hold hands. Is it a, where is the canons that say you can't hold your husband's hand or you can't hold your wife's hand? Where's the canons saying those things? And that's why people get turned off. And part D, when you are married to an unbeliever, some people, in, especially in Russia, uh, they weren't married in the church. They were legally married by the government, but they weren't married in the church. Well, they weren't even orthodox, some of them. They were both unbelievers, atheists, unbaptized. All of a sudden, one changes. The other person. And the church says, don't leave your husband and your wife, or because they're not believers. Father John, he says, when you started your family, you were both unbelievers and did not have a thought of God. But now you have come to know God and God is love first of all. Now, as you read that, you might pass it by. We've got to study the church writings and the advice of the saints, the elders. You see, I'll read it again and see if you can grab onto something. When you started your family, you were both unbelievers and did not have a thought of God. 
But now you have come to know God, and God is love first of all. Who knows which part can slip our mind? Which part can slip our mind? Because we don't want to know about that part. Does anyone know? God is love. Yes, God is love. So it's great. You became religious. You're now in the church. But God is love. Where's your love if you're treating your spouse horribly? Where's your love if you're judging, if you're not really showing concern? Where's your affection? Another letter which I read at that time, Father John said, Glory be to God, he's not a militant atheist. He's not like a fanatical atheist. He understands and loves you. He's not against religion. He's not against you going to church. For you, you for your part, must also show understanding to him. He does not prohibit you from going to church. So why are you thinking of leaving him? Basically. Another one, Father John said, another letter wrote, through your constant effort, you will make him, meaning your husband, also a participant in the church. Through your effort, constant effort. That doesn't mean forcing your husband if he doesn't want to go to church, but through your, through your effort, but properly with love, prayer. He does not go, he's not going to church, Father John's saying, that's true, but his other half, his wife, does go. For you are not two, but one flesh. So when the, one of the spouses are going to church, the other has the opportunity to be sanctified because the two are one. I'm sure you, you, with that your understanding and our prayer for your husband will return him to the Lord. Be understanding, be patient. You pray, we'll pray, and God will bring him to the church. And the, last one, uh, the second last one, I read two things which, which were a bit, uh, for some people, a bit shocking. St. John Chrysostom writes the following. He's talking about now two people who were both unbelievers, but one of them becomes religious. But they weren't married in the church. And in those days, I mean, St. Paul and the fathers said, don't leave your spouse if they want to stay with you. He says, St. John Christum says, what if he tries to force you to sacrifice to idols or to join him in some immoral act on the grounds of marriage? He's saying, St. John's saying, what happens if your husband says to you, a believer, because they were pagans, you have to sacrifice to idols. You're my wife. Or you're going to do these immoral acts, some whatever, they, whatever what it might be, on the grounds of marriage. And when you refuse, he leaves you. Well, let him go. It's better to break up the marriage for righteousness' sake. Now, some will say, no, you, you, you know, you, you compromise. You compromise on some things, but not on those things. So if someone's married, say, to a Roman Catholic, and then the Catholic person saying, I want you to come to my church and commune with me because you're my wife, because you go to your church, I go to my church, and I want you to do that. No, the wife or the husband, depends on who, has no, cannot go and commune in another church just to, so that the marriage can last. But in this case also, when you've got one unbeliever and one believer, 
the believer can't compromise on important matters of faith, but can compromise on certain things, smaller things. And then St John Chrysostom goes on. Well, let him go. It's better to break up the marriage for righteousness' sake. Paul explains, in such a case, the brother or sister, a Christian man or Christian woman, is not bound. If he beats you every day, constantly picking fights over the issue, over this issue, it's better to separate. And when he says separate there, it can be a temporary separation, but also can mean divorce. These are the conditions Paul visualises when he says, for God has called you to peace. God wants us to be, to have peace in, our, in the marriages, yes, but not satanic peace. In other words, just to keep the peace, I'm going to go with my husband to a Hindu temple and light incense and put oranges there. That's, that's not, that's called satanic peace. You can't betray your faith just to have peace. But if your husband says, I want you to cook for me this meal and that meal, but there's, no, there's no compromise of faith there. The unbelieving partner is as much to blame for such a separation as the partner guilty of adultery. And that means there that Christ himself, he taught that only on the grounds of adultery can you divorce. And I said two talks ago that the canons, the fathers elaborated on that and also said when a person is in danger, the children are in danger, that there are grounds for divorce, that it wasn't just for adultery. Now, St. John Chrysostom is saying, Christ says that only for adultery you can divorce. But someone who is bashing their wife or, or the man or the woman, doesn't matter because women bash husbands too, as you know, it doesn't matter. If one of the spouses is putting pressure on the other spouse to do something which is against the, the church's law, St John Christmas, and that is the same as if they committed adultery and therefore worthy of divorce. Another thing St John Chrysostom said when he did talks there, it is as if Paul was saying, if your husband, for another section, is not argumentative, in other words, is not antagonistic, doesn't, you know, fight you all the time, it could very well prove to be worthwhile if you stay with him. In other words, don't divorce him. So stay, give him advice, persuade him of the truth. No teacher is so effective as a persuasive wife. So if your spouse is leaving you alone, then it's different. Now, be very careful because there are people who are in situations today who are married in the Orthodox Church who have spouses who are even though they're orthodox, are negative towards the church. They don't want to go. They don't like their wives or their husbands going. And there can be problems. So does that mean, according to the advice of St John Chrysostom, that they should leave? 
That should be a last resort. What has been done before you get to that stage? Okay, one woman might say, oh, he doesn't let me go to church, he causes me trouble. So St. John Christum says I can divorce because he's not letting me go to church. Yes, that's correct. However, what prayer have you done to enlighten your husband, to soften his heart? And the person will answer, um, none. I didn't think of that. So how can you divorce someone that you haven't even made an attempt to help? Now, I had a case of a woman whose husband was saying, you know, you're always going to church, you're always going to church, and he'd become very, very upset, even though he was orthodox. He used to go sometimes, but didn't like the fact that she was going every week. So what happened there was that I said to her, don't go. And she said that she agrees. Now, some of you might go, oh, what a bad priest. How can you tell her not to go to church? You have to. She have to go to church well, every Sunday. Isn't that compromising? And the answer to that is he let her go sometimes and sometimes he, was up, he used to get agitated. And what happened was I said to her, what, have you done an akathist for your husband? Have you done any prayers for your husband? Have you asked the monastery to pray for your husband? Yes, so a little bit, a little bit. Well, why don't you increase it? Why don't you do more prayers? Why don't you show him that when you come back from church that you're a different person, that you're a very affectionate person, a loving person, that will say, mm, this is good. She's coming back better than when she doesn't go to church. This is, this is um, positive. So all these things, and lo and behold, now she goes every week. Doesn't say anything now. And even he's starting to go more often. So yes, the, it, St John Christum says, if they stop you, you divorce. But that's when it's repeatedly and there's been, there's been prayers done and there's patience and the person's tried. And after some while, unless, of course, the person's in danger. And even then, when a person's in danger, and I've seen many examples of women that were in danger from uh, uh, crazy husbands, who, with prayer, they said, I can't believe it. Just, I did one akathis, and today he's so nice to me, and he even said, sorry for being mean to you. And some of you might say, oh, I find that hard to believe. And my answer to you is, I find it hard to believe that you don't believe. That you don't believe in prayer. Now we come to the new section today, E. Someone, when someone tries to separate the couple... This is an example from the life of Elder Ambrose of Optina. He wrote to a woman, Father, uh, Father Ambrose of Optina wrote to a woman, one of his spiritual children, the following about how divorce is not permitted. So this is, this, this is the elder's words. You write that your mother tries in any way she can to get you to persuade your sister-in-law, in other words, your brother's wife, to divorce her husband. But you do not agree with this. You are right not to support your mother in this. And we will notice in this talk, in, by the end of this talk, if, if, we, if we get to the end, by the end of the talk you're going to say, this is just this, 
Maybe this joke about mother-in-laws has got some truth to it. You are right not to support your mother in this. Divorce is hateful to God. If it is allowed, it's only because of human weakness. Defend your sister-in-law as much as you can. In other words, say to your mum, no, that's not true. Don't say that about, about her. She's good, whatever. You should not allow your mother to do this, even though this might cause you to bear unpleasantness from her. Even though Elder Ambrose is saying to this woman, even though your mum's going to get upset with you, don't support her. You, could, you should not only save yourself, but your mother from sin. So Elder Ambrose is saying this is a great sin to separate a couple. Calling for peace and God's blessing upon you, your brother, your sorrowing sister-in-law and her children. I remain with sincere best wishes the much sinful Hiram Monk Ambrose. Remember, St. Ambrose was, a very, was one of the greatest Optina elders. Like we say Elder Paisius in Greece is a great elder, Elder Parfios. Well, in Russia at his time, Elder Ambrose was someone that people would flock from all over Russia to see. The second letter, this time this letter is from Father John Christiankin. And he writes to someone there, What problems are you writing about? The greatest problem is your relationship to life. You worry what other people might think about you, but you do not think about how the Lord looks at your disgraceful behaviour. Now, let's stop there for a minute. Some people have this image of saints, because remember that today we live in this don't judge universe. How dare you be judgmental? And who are you to judge me? There's Wally people that speak like this. You've got no right to judge me. Today, you are not allowed to say anything. If someone wants to marry an animal, you are not allowed to be judgmental. If someone, leave, if someone wants to leave their, their millions to their cat, you are not allowed to say anything because you're being judgmental. You're not even allowed to say, I think that personally, I think that that's silly. You're not allowed to do that. We live in this non-judgmental world. And yet, the saints, look how this particular holy elder that was full of grace, how he spoke, he says, uh, but, but do you think about how the Lord looks at your disgraceful behaviour? Now, some of you might say, oh, he's an elder and he's allowed to speak like that. Either you are or you're not. Some, someone in America said that once. Uh, most people are okay. But one person said, I heard your talk and you said the word stupid. We don't use the word stupid in America. I said, I'm not American, number one. <laughs> what do you use? Uh, we use the word dumb. I go, well, to me, to me, that, I don't like that word. See, so in Australia, I, I would never say to someone, you're, um, I avoid saying to someone, you're dumb. But stupid means you've been silly or whatever. Anyway, we have different, different, um, they, they speak different. However, some people can say, but Christ himself said, if you call someone fool, you're in danger of hellfire. But yet Christ himself said, you fool, tonight your soul will be asked of you. Now some might say, but that's because he's God and he's allowed to say that. But then we've got other, we've got St. Paul that used the word fool as well. But he's St. Paul. But then we've got saints, but they're saints. So when does it stop? So are we allowed or not allowed? And what does it mean? It means the following. 
We are not allowed to call someone a fool or an idiot or whatever for personal reasons. So if Irina here says to me tonight, right? Why don't you comb your beard? It looks ugly. For example, she might say, it looks, it looks all um, shaggy, right? And I say to her, you, you stupid woman. That is condemning. That is worthy of hellfire. However, however, if she says, puts up her hand and says, uh, I don't agree that the church should look at third marriages as a transgression, that's not fair, that's judging. I say to her nicely, firstly, that's not correct, that's what the church teaches. If she, if she continues, I would say, I'm sorry, but you are being, I wouldn't use the word stupid, it's too light. I would say you're being demonic. That's wrong. That's not because she's offending me. If my answer to her is because I'm personally offended, then that's a sin. But when we are speaking in that way of someone say, uh, when someone says, um, for me, my God is my superannuation. That's my God. And you say, that's really foolish. That's so stupid to say that. That's not because he's offended me. He's offended me. It's not personal. That's because he is he's saying something which is dangerous for his soul. So that's the difference. Christ said, when you say it, you fool for personal. But when you say it for other reasons, for righteous reasons, that's different. Now, some of you might say, then how do we know when we've been, when we're saying it for righteousness? No. Each has to examine their soul. You have to see, is your heart vexed? In other words, is your heart disturbed because you're personally offended? Or is your heart on fire because you're seeing God's law trampled on? Each person has to examine themselves, don't they? But don't say it's forbidden to use those words. You should read St. Nikolai Velimirovich's um, homilies and books, a great Serbian saint. They call him the Serbian Chrysostom, like St. John Chrysostom is to the Greeks. St. Nikolai is to the Serbians, the, like the Chrysostom of the Serbs, like a great, great holy father. And he, in his writings, even in the prologue that some of you have, he uses the things like, and some ignoramuses come along and say this, and some idiots say this, and some foolish people say that. Well, isn't he then worthy of hellfire, as Christ said? No. Because he's not speaking because they're going against him personally. He's speaking because he's speaking of righteous anger. There's two different things. There's ego, anger that comes from our ego, and there's anger that comes from righteous reasons. So sometimes it's hard to, to, to discern. For example, there are some fanatical old calendarists, some Greeks, for example, they, are, they belong to some groups where they say that only they are the true church in the whole world. And you say something to them and they, it's as if they're breathing fire with such anger. They believe that they're saying that out of righteousness because they believe that they've got zeal for the truth. And they use the examples of the Holy Fathers who spoke with anger at times. 
and they believe they've got that. But those same people, like when I went to uh, uh, Thessalonica once and I met one of them, and I said to him, I wasn't a priest then, I said, do you believe that there's no grace in any other church but your own? And he said, yes. I said, well, excuse me, but I will not ask your blessing. And he said, don't worry, but, but this is the way he said, don't worry, I don't throw my blessings in the garbage bin. But it was done in a way that was like anger and poisonous. That's not, from, that's not zeal from the faith. He was offended, which is why I did it. There's, there's differences there. But anyway, that's enough on that. Now let's go on. Um, know, little girl, that you won't be able to dream about happiness by building your life on another person's tears. Wouldn't you be terrified if you were called right now from this life and you were to stand before the judgment as a fornicator and a wrecker of another person's family? This woman obviously wrote to Father John saying that she was after someone else's husband. And Saint jo Father John said to her, how do you expect to build your life on another, on other people's tears? You're going to break up a marriage. If you were called at this moment to give word, how would you answer in front of God for being a fornicator and a wrecker of another person's family? So the fathers of the church, we notice, and the priests who are zealous for, for, for to save souls because there are priests who are not zealous the priests who are zealous will do all that they can to prevent a disaster and to save souls think about this he goes on this is the main thing Will you be able to bring forth repentance? Will you be able to change your life and your view of it? For you are living without God and without his law. So the saint here, the holy, he's not a canonized saint yet, but obviously he will be. The holy elder here is speaking very strictly necessary because this woman was contemplating. Now I had a, a case of a woman who came to me many years ago and she was mucking around there with a married man and I said to her that um, you can't commune until you get away. And this woman was obsessed and she would ring this person every day. And I said to her, I, uh, I want you to, three days, that's all. Three days, just don't ring, which I knew she wouldn't be able to do it. She couldn't do it. She goes, but I need to commune, I need to commune. I go, no, you cannot commune until you separate until you stop contacting this person. That is the truth. I was speaking to a priest a couple of weeks ago from overseas and he said to me um, that he avoids um, helping people. 
And I said, okay, so if you're not really helping people, then what, what are you doing? And I'm not sure what your purpose is anyway. So he said, once I remember that I was helping, I was, I was talking to some people and I felt this strength, this inner strength and the words to come out and tell these people something which really helped them. So that's good, isn't it? He goes, yes, yes, I was really surprised when that happened. Uh, um, I was actually saying the right words and it helped this people. I don't know who they were. Maybe it was a couple. And I said, and then what happened after that? He goes, oh, after that, I was attacked so badly that it made me scared to do it again. And some, you see, people believe that priesthood is just something that a person does a service and it's easy. But it's not. And those priests who do try to save souls become victims of slander, hate, demonic attacks, and so on and so on and so on. If the priest was organising a barbecue, why should the devil attack him? There's nothing wrong with organising a barbecue. But when, when that's all you do, then, it's, then, then, then there's a problem. Why would he get attacked? So you understand that a priest who is trying to save souls will be attacked, his presbytera or matushka will be attacked, his children will be attacked, his parishioners will go against him, etc. Big, big warfare. That's, that's, that's the truth. And whoever has ears to hear, let them hear those words. So, a priest is not only meant to speak and to supposedly speak, you know, human things. Everyone be nice to each other, and all these human things, which even Dr. Phil says, that's, that's not, that's Dr. Phil's not saving souls. Saving souls is what the devil hates. Not saying nice little things. A priest has to be able to censure people when they're doing the wrong thing, has to be able to encourage, has to help people struggle, has to be consoling at times when the person's hopeless, has to be a person of prayer, praying continually, doing services continually. But today, the devil has a new dogma. And the dogma that he has, like the church has dogmas, he has dogmas that he spreads to the world. And that is that the priest is not allowed to say anything, anything at all against the people to talk about morals or things like that. Only speak of the gospel, say a few things there, but do not say about anything. You can't say anything about adultery, you can't say anything about abortion, you can't say anything about this, because and that's why people come to me and say, I went to church today, and I've been going for a long time, just whatever, but I never hear the priest say anything. Why? 
about those things? Well, because today is the non to do not judge. I was talking to another priest just a few days ago, and he actually said that a couple came to him who were living, they weren't married, they were orthodox, and um, they were... They didn't want to get married in the church, but they wanted to continue to come to church. They wanted to, con they wanted to commune. They wanted to hang around with orthodox Christians. And the priest says, I'm sorry, you cannot commune. And the girl there, the woman, was saying, I feel, I feel defiled. I feel like I'm filthy. I feel like I'm this. I feel like I'm that. Like, I can't believe that the church is doing this to us. Same with, with um, gay people. Same thing. The church doesn't allow that. And people get upset. But it's very difficult today to go against the ways of the world. St. Cosmas, whose name my bishop gave to me when I was tonsured, St. Cosmas, the, the Greek saint, he was... Um, killed by the Turks. What happened then was that St. Cosmas was saying that you will not go to the markets or sell anything on Sundays. He was telling the Christians in those times, the Greeks, you don't do that. And the Greeks were listening to him because they saw he was a holy person. And the Jews were getting upset because well, the Muslims had their shops closed on Friday. The Jews had their shops closed on Saturday. So the Jews were hoping to get most of their business on Saturday, Sunday, but the Christians weren't going to the market. It was they who instigated at that time and had him hanged and killed and things like that. Why? Because he spoke the truth. Number three, Father, uh, Father John again in another letter. A mother wrote to, a, to, a father, to Father John asking her for prayers for her daughter who wanted to divorce her husband. Now the, he, and, the, and the elder says, I'm fulfilling your request for prayers, but how can I help when the sick ones do not turn to God themselves. So in other words, the elders saying, well, your daughter and son-in-law, why aren't they turning to God? Spiritual help is effective if it be reinforced by the power of the sacraments. In other words, confession, holy unction, holy communion. But if none of these things are present, then the enemy is free and no man can do battle with him by his own strength. So the elder here is saying to these people, obviously, if, these, if, if the couple in question that are thinking of divorcing do not participate in the mysteries of the church, because that's what the devil, the devil wants to separate couples. Why? He hates marriage. Why? Because marriage is established by God. And he hates everything that is from God. There was on SBS this uh, program called Insight, and they had a thing there about gay marriage, I think it was. And um, there was, they were talking there, and they had a, a couple there, two women, who had a, a son. Anyway, they were talking there. And it's interesting that two messages came out of that debate, which everyone thought it was funny. One of the lesbian couples said that religion should be abolished so that all these problems, whether gay marriage is right or wrong, can be done away with. So that was her solution. Do away with religion. 
because religion bothers them. But the second thing that came out from someone else out of that debate was that marriage should be abolished. And that's the purpose of the gay marriage thing. It's really not, as some of you might think, this equality for them. They, they themselves admit that most of them don't even care about marriage because their, their lifestyle is not that of being with one person. They hate heterosexual relationships. They hate this monogamy. They don't like it because they are people who, in general, they are people who have multiple partners. One, two, three a week, some of them. Their aim is to abolish marriage. So, pray for your daughter. A mother's prayers have great power. A divorce will not change the state of affairs for the problem is in your daughter and not in her husband. This priest here is blaming the woman's own daughter. But she, obviously, I would believe that she was blaming the husband, which is what parents do. It's always the, the, the other person's fault. Divorce her from one husband and she will take a multitude of husbands in her search for the right person, which is what happens. When people divorce, whether man or woman, later on they go through a lot of partners until they supposedly find the, next person, the right person. It's interesting here that it appears that the woman is asking St. Father John's prayers for, the, for this situation. But I think if you read between the lines, even though she was asking for prayers, part of her was saying the only solution for my daughter is to divorce. And that's where parents make mistakes. A parent should have as the top priority that that marriage is to last, not to use their own human criteria and say, I believe that this marriage is not going to work. How do you know? And that's why he said, divorce her from one husband. If you try to divorce her from one husband, he's saying to the lady, then you're going to have trouble later on because she will go from person to person to person. And the same with the man, usually the same thing. You yourself pray to the holy martyr Boniface and to the icon of the mother of God inexhaustible cup. Now, some of you might not know why is he advising this mother to pray to the, to the, um, to the holy martyr Boniface, which is celebrated on... Uh, uh, January, uh, December 19, is it? Yep. Uh, and to pray in front of the icon of the Mother of God, inexhaustible cup, is an akathos which we have. That indicates what? That, 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 that the man in question was a alcoholic. Because the Holy Mother Boniface is, is famous, he's a, he's a patron saint of alcoholics, and the Akathist of the inexhaustible cup is, uh, is, is for alcoholics. And that's what I tell a lot of... Well, women can be alcoholics too, but a lot of men now. But that's what I say to women who have alcoholic husbands. Do, the, do that particular um, akathist. 
do that akathis for your husband. And I remember one woman, she did that, and she couldn't believe that after she did that, her husband did stop drinking. But then he went back to it again after some weeks. But then at least this he was trying, while before he never tried. And then it keep on reading, keep on reading, keep on keep on doing that until it got to the stage where the person even started to seek help to go and be to go to a hospital, to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, etc. etc. These things happen all the time. Do not fall into despondency, for it steals power from prayer. See, she was hopeless. And you need to be healthy and strong. Stay strong. Don't become sick from being upset. Pray for your, for your daughter and her husband. And have hope in God, in other words, is what he's trying to say. May the Lord strengthen you. See how a lot of people can be instrumental in saving a marriage. Some of you might come, have, obviously, in your life... You might have your own problems, but maybe not. But you might see the problem in one of your friends or your brother or your sister or your own parents or uh, a neighbour or whoever that you see and then you're concerned, oh, their, their marriage isn't going right. There's the advice. Where's the prayers? Give the name to a priest. Give the names if they're orthodox. If they're not, well, you've got to write on the paper. If you're going to give a names to them to a monastery, which are, and you say these people are not orthodox, the monastery can pray. They can't commemorate in the liturgy. They can't do malebans. The priests can't wear vestments when they're praying, but they can do personal prayers for non-orthodox. You can do that too if you have people like that. But let's just say that the orthodox people now that these prayers are important. And miracles occur continually. That's why I'm saying a lot of divorces were unnecessary. Number four. This comes from a book, Father Arseni, A Cloud of Witnesses, which is uh, published by St. Vladimir Seminary Press. Now, that we have that book. Um, that book, people that have read it, have left, people that have read this book, have said that they that they uh, love it. It's about a priest who was put into a um, concentration camp in Russia during the um, Soviet times, and so it's called Father Senyi, eighteen ninety three to nineteen seventy three, priest, prisoner, spiritual father, and uh, everyone that's read. I sent this book as a gift to some woman in Queensland, and um, she rang me up. And she was crying and crying. She says, I cannot believe this book. So some books are very moving and this is one of them that people find it uh, inspirational because it shows this person's faith, endurance, patience in troubles and how he went through it. And yet today people have a bit of troubles in their marriage and they go, that's it, finished, pack up, time to go. Got to go and speak to the divorce lawyer who salivate and as soon as they see me walk through. <laughs> Why is he salivating? Gets plenty of money and honey. There were serious troubles in my family. My daughter and her husband were about to divorce. The problem of the apartment had come up and who would have two children and all the other problems that always arise in a divorce. 
My life was ruined. I hated my son-in-law and made sure he knew it. Another mother-in-law. And um, didn't blame the daughter. No, it's always the opposite person. My, fr my friend Natal Natalia had received permission to take me to Father Arseni. As so I made the journey joyously. I was on my way to see a saintly man who would solve all our problems. He would tell us what to do and show us the will of God. So she arrived, well, there's a few other things I just left it out. She arrived late at the night and then, then um, the next morning she attended liturgy and then she was invited for breakfast with six other people to Father Asenius. After breakfast, Father Asenius invited me into his room. Moved, I started telling him all my problems. I even cried when I described my son-in-law. I spoke for a long time and pointed out how much I was doing for that family. Father Senior looked at me in silence for a long time. Then he got up, went over to his icons, prayed, blessed himself and said, Anastasia, uh, I look at you and I see that you are the guilty one in these problems. Try to listen to me seriously. Well, listen carefully. Your son-in-law, Leonard, is not a bad person. He's even a good person. He loves his wife, Svetlana, and children. Yes, he, doesn't, he, he does earn less money than your daughter, but he tries as hard as he can to help out at home. So what more do you want from him? Obviously, Mummy Dearest was upset because her daughter was getting a lot of money, and he wasn't. You keep telling your daughter that he is a bad husband and your grandchildren that he is a bad father. And you remind everyone of your role in that household and you want them to appreciate the enormous amount of work, supposedly, that's what she says, that you are doing for them. Well, who could stand all that? If you want peace in that house, you are the one who has to change. Imagine giving advice these days to people like that. Hmm? Got to stand back. Or go in those bank tellers where they've got the perspex. So you're giving advice through the little holes, <laughs> right, just in case the person scratches your eyes out. Very hard today to give advice. Very, very hard. I remember once giving advice to a, um, to a young fellow new to the church, and I said to him about the gift of virginity and how important it is to keep your virginity for marriage. How important it is to pay taxes, because his, his relatives didn't pay taxes and we're making him pay taxes. We're, not, we're making him not pay taxes. And I said, no, you've got to pay taxes. Just came back from church on, Good Thur on um, Great Thursday, the 12 gospel readings. And I hear this bang. What is that? It's a very loud noise. It's like a car hit the house. So I went towards the front. What do I see? I could see through the window, but the window wasn't open because there was no window there anymore. I look on the ground, bricks. Who was it? The family of that, of, of that person. Why? Because I told him, what are, what are the God's commandments? So when you judge priests, be very careful 
because it's a matter of life and death, very dangerous. Especially today, people are very, very much against being told what God wants. When you get home tomorrow, enter it as a new person, as a new, good, true Christian woman. You are a believer, but you go to church, and what do you ask from God? You ask for a divorce or for a bigger salary for Leonard. So he's saying to this silly woman, you're going to church and he's saying to God to divorce them or asking God to give him a, a, a greater salary. Be warm-hearted and show your daughter and your son-in-law what it means to be a true Christian and perhaps you'll even bring them all into the church. Her, she was a believer. Her son-in-law and daughter weren't even in the church. That's interesting. But would, if you weren't in the church and you had a mother-in-law like that, would you go to church? Would that make you to be attracted to church when you see that this woman's um, like a, a horrible person? You are not the only one who, who comes to me thinking that I will solve their problem or make them disappear. Yes, of course, prayer will help, but you must be ready to see your own faults and be ready to correct them. When I see that the person who come, came, to me, came to see me is in the wrong, it's my duty to say no, to say so, sorry. See that? Very, very, very interesting. As a priest, he's saying, it's my duty to say the truth. Whatever the consequences. I fell on my knees and Father Senyi put his hand on my head and started to pray aloud. I did not understand some words of the prayers, but I did understand them later. My visit to Father Senyi left me an enormous impression on me. At first, I found it difficult to agree with everything Father Senyi had said. But after I looked carefully at the way I acted, I agreed that he was right. I did change. I even became good friends with Leonard, the son-in-law. It's interesting. I took my grandchildren to church and Leonard came with us. My daughter did not. Her faith remained shallow. Interesting, isn't it? That the one who she thought was the one at fault and the one that was off well, turned out to be good. And the daughter, who she adored as some goddess, at the end didn't even go to, didn't wouldn't even really come to church. I cannot say that it was easy to change in the way I had to. I wept many times, and I visited Father Senyi several times, uh, several more times. But my family was at peace, and so was I. That's that section on when people try to interfere in uh, marriages. Are there any questions quickly before we go on to the next section? On that. Yes? What should the spouse's reaction be to someone interfering? You know, it's very, very difficult when you're in that situation, when you've got people interfering. When it's family members, it's, it's even harder because they're part of the family. When they're outsiders, then uh, you may have to, you know, I've seen situations in which there were uh, friends, even best, what do you call those, kumbari, uh, um, best men, best men, best women, whatever, those people who are interfering in the marriage badly, 
And sometimes you've got to cut them off. Because your marriage is meant to, like, you know, for example, if you had a treasure in your house and you knew that someone that you're, one of your friends is a thief and your treasure is in danger, I bet you have no problem to get rid of that person who, has, who can actually take your treasure. Well, your marriage is higher than, 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 than an earthly treasure. You should put every effort to save your marriage. With relatives, you have to uh, use prayer and try with all your power to tell that person not to do that, that it's causing problems, whatever. And after a long period of time, if that person is causing such problems in your marriage that, there's a, that, that, they could, that it begins to affect the marriage, then you might have to remove them and tell them that when they begin to improve, then they will be invited back. Because I've seen a lot of marriages end up in disaster all because of these type of people. But there's a lot of prayer. The next section, which we will do, um, so what we'll do is we'll have the break and then we'll go on to the next section, which is marriage and the magic and things like that. Now we come to part F of our of this um, series of talks here, and this is to do with magic in the um, to do with married couples and things like that in general. Now, some of you could ask that: Why are you going to explain? Why are you going to talk about these things? And the truth of the matter is, as you'll notice from what I'm going to be reading soon, that this is a great problem. Greeks, Serbians are very much into these things. There's noise. Someone's making noise. And unfortunately, as some holy spiritual fathers have said, it's very hard... I remember hearing a talk from uh, in, in in Greece, and he says it's very rare for someone to come to confession who hasn't been involved in these things. So this next section will be a very um, difficult for some of you, and even if you 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 yourselves have never really gone to these doors. Uh, they might come to you. So you just got to be, just listen. Let's see what the Holy Elders say about it. Let's see what the Church Fathers say about it. I'll read you some examples. The next, this, this comes from the book, um, this book here, Confronting the Devil, Magic and the Occult by Archimandrite Vasilios Bakuyanis, which is published by a uh, Orthodox Book Centre. This is a Greek archman, right? And he's very well known for putting in simple language many important things of the church. We have, uh, he's, got, he's done this book. He's also got another book which we have at the back on marriage. Uh, 
Suffering and Salvation and a few others. Uh, this is a very, very um, good book. I've taken some examples from that. In there he says that um, suppose there's a woman who wants to make somebody fall in love with her. She goes to a witch who sets the ball rolling. According to one practice, she draws the naked man in pigeon's blood on the skin of a dog. Thereafter, she senses and so on, performing all the necessary actions for calling on help or calling on Satan for help. Now, a lot of these witches, magis, mediums, whatever, they actually mix religion with their, their satanic practices. St. John Chrysostom on that, he, when I was reading about this, he actually spoke very strictly and he actually said to the people, he goes, you, you have to hate those people, which I was quite surprised, because they are using religion to trick people. Some people would find it difficult to go to these places, but when they see icons, when they see crosses, they say, oh, this person's religious, and St John Chrysostom really speaks very, very, very harshly against those people who do that. So if you notice, it's a mixture. Pigeons, blood, skin of a dog, and then even incense. Now, some of you will say this is very difficult to believe that these things happen. Well, it does happen. And we'll see as time goes on. I even have examples that I know of myself. Number two, he further writes, a certain woman who was an emotional wreck told me recently, 1997, what had happened to her. Her relations with her husband was harmonious. He loved her so much that he never turned his head to look at another woman. But another woman set her sights on him. At first, he disregarded her and ridiculed her. Now, that's very important. I underlined that. At first, he disregarded her and even ridiculed her. But she refused to give up. In the end, she went to a witch, and it wasn't long before the harm was done. The husband began to withdraw from his wife. When he returned home, he vomited. Whenever he got into bed with his wife, he jumped straight out again. A powerful force propelled him out of the bed and onto the balcony. One evening, without warning, the icon lamp in the house, which was lit, exploded into tiny pieces. The mirror in their bedroom smashed into tiny pieces. In the end, he abandoned his wife, whom he had loved so much, and moved in with the woman he'd laughed at and mocked previously. That's very interesting, that. That the same woman that he thought was a joke, he later on moved in with her and left his wife. Now I'll give you an example that I know of. I've called this section, A Zombie Gets Married. Now you might say, um, do you believe in zombies? No, I don't believe in zombies. It's a, it's a joke. Because all of you know what a zombie is, like it's a made-up thing of some uh, person that's like in a trance, like a zombie. We say, oh, what a zombie-looking person. Well, this is, a zo this is about like a, like a person like that. But when I was researching for the marriage talk, I discovered this in many of the books that I was reading. So I, so I thought to myself, no, this needs to be covered. Okay. 
Many years ago, an Orthodox woman came to me who was suffering from what she thought was demonic influence. When people come to me and they say those things, I don't take I don't believe them straight away because everyone, uh, not everyone, but a lot of people believe that everything's demonic or someone's done something and sometimes it's psychological, sometimes it's their imagination. It's just a number of reasons. So a, a priest does not believe someone immediately when they come to them. So this woman came and said she's got this influence. It, it, so what it turned out that, um, it turned out that her husband's mother, who was an Orthodox woman, was involved with magic. She explained to me how she met her husband. She said that when she was young, she used to see this man um, around when she used to go out, and she had no interest in him, similar to the other example up the top. Uh, and he, for many years, around six years, used to actually try and ask her out, and she used to say no. Nothing about him attracted her. She looked at him, in her own words, as a loser and out of it. And this happened for six years. Suddenly, she said that she started to feel attracted to him, even though she couldn't understand why, and after ten months, they even married. When they went to book for the wedding, the priest must have noticed something and said to her a number of times, are you sure you want to get married because you're still young? She was only 22. Even though her friend got married and she was 19, but the priest didn't say that to her, which is interesting. So I don't know why she, he asked her, but not her, but she must have noticed something. And the woman said, yes, I want to get married. Like a zombie, in other words. She had no interest in the wedding dress. She had no interest in the function. She had no interest in the menu, the decorations, the flowers. I don't know. What woman does not have interest in their own wedding? She left her relatives to do all that. On the day before her, her, mar her, her wedding, maybe let's just say Saturday, she, fell, she went to sleep at five in the afternoon, she said. Five in the afternoon on Saturday night and woke up in the morning when the hairdresser came. So she slept for more than 12, 13 hours. As she was having the shower, she said to herself, oh, I'm getting married today, but had no emotions. There was no joy or interest whatsoever. She said that it was like she was in a trance, and hence the word zombie, what I'm saying. I worked out, I spoke to her later on, and it worked out that what had happened, because that's not normal, unless she's mentally ill, but no doctors ever found that there's anything wrong with her mentally. What it worked out was that this woman came from a well-off family. Her family was, had money. And her mother in her future mother-in-law did what she did to make her marry him, because that's not normal. But there's more history there because this woman was fully involved in these things, this, 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 this mother. So that confirms what was said by the Archimandrite as well and by many priests in Russia and in Greece, etc., who have said the same thing. 
And St. John Chrysostom speaks about that, and St. Nicodemus speaks about that in, the, in, his, in his book on confession, this book here. This book is called the Exomolitario, it's a Greek word, but anyway, a manual of confession. This was being put together by St. Nicodemus, a great Orthodox saint, a, a, um, an authority on the church's rules and canons, etc. He's the one that compiled the Rada, the, at the book of the canons thing. And he says in there that um, this is mostly done by women, use this practice, even though in the, in the life of Saints Cyprian and Justina, which is there on the front, a man was in love with Saint Justina, a pagan man, and he went to Cyprian, who was the biggest magician of that time, to, of the area, to make her to love him. Anyway, and um, this is in the church's lives of saints, and as we'll see as time goes on. Uh, more examples. Father, can I ask, did the son know that his mother did that? Probably not, no. Yeah, so he was unaware. He was unaware. Yeah. Number four. This is from the book Everyday Saints. It's a new, it's a new Russian book. It's been translated into English, and they say it's the bestseller in Russia now. It's called Everyday Saints. It's about the elders of the Pskov. How do you say it? Pskov Monastery. Uh, and I don't think I, I think when they say the bestseller in Russia, I don't think it means bestselling as in the religious circles. I think it means the bestseller out of all the books in Russia at this time. And I've, I've actually ordered 20 of those books it's because um, it's an excellent uh, book. Who has, who's read it in Russian? Many, yeah. And there's English as well. So we'll, we'll get the, the English version. From there, there was a very long account. I'm not going to, I'm not, I couldn't read it all. It's just too long. But anyway, a man was, he was, a, he was committing adultery with a number of women. And because he wouldn't stop, his wife and mother-in-law did magic on him but not just magic to separate, magic for him to die. And it's a very long account, very well put, and it's a good way when you get it to read it. They made him a nice dinner one, one day. They put something in, the, uh, in it, which was given to them by a witch. He became paralysed and was continually losing weight and couldn't speak. The doctors didn't know what was wrong with him, and he was on the verge of dying. He was saved by a friend who secretly brought a priest to him, and the rest of it you can read. But why I, why I just summarise that quickly is because it shows that magic can be done to make people die. And also, this book, Apostle to Zaire, The Life and Legacy of Blessed Father Cosmas, he did missionary work in Africa. And in here there's a very detailed accounts of what he had to deal with there when he was in Africa because the Africans were into black magic. But the only problem is their magic didn't work with him because he was an Orthodox priest. Seem to be, they, seem to be, they seem to be scared when it's to do with Orthodox priests. I remember, reading, I remember hearing a, uh, another talk or I read it somewhere when it said that um, there was a person that was possessed and they went to a Catholic priest 
and said to the Catholic priest, um, can you do something? At least the priest was honest. And he said, look, you know, if you want to get better, you've got to go to an Orthodox priest. Even though today the Catholics are producing exorcists because of the big problem that they also are experiencing, similar to the Orthodox, where a lot of people are possessed. And uh, so they, they have like a, in, the, in the Vatican there, they've got like a, they do lectures on how to do exorcisms, lectures. It's as if you're going to learn exorcisms from a book. While in the Orthodox Church, exorcisms are only done by few. Even some great saints, I think even St. John of Cronstein, great saint, didn't do exorcisms. And in, the, in this monastery, only one did it. Very, it's, it, it, it is it, it's done by those who are uh, gifted by God, given that ability. And even though a priest can get a book and read it, uh, as you will notice as time goes on, as I read them on, it's very dangerous. So you don't learn exorcisms by sitting in on lectures. But that would be about right for the Roman Catholics because they don't have the spirituality that the Orthodox have. So what they do is they learn through books and lectures. Exorcists in the Orthodox Church were ascetics, holy people. This type only comes out with prayer and fasting, Christ said. He didn't say, and I'm not meaning to make fun, he didn't say this type only comes out after you've done lectures. Number six, magic brings couples together. There was a man who was deceiving his wife. In order to keep him, the wife, instead of turning to God for help, went to the devil, that is, to a sorcerer, or a medium in other words, and begged him to tie or bind her husband to her. This is very, very interesting that the way he speaks. He goes, he went to the devil. Where do you go to a sorcerer? Where do you go to a medium? Where do you go to someone to read your part? It's like going to the devil. That's how orthodox fathers look at it. This woman was wanted to, wanted to bind her husband to her. The sorcerer made a figurine of wax and likeness of her husband. He then wrapped it in a net and bat's wings, at the same time making supplications or prayers to Satan. And the miracle happened, the miracle inverted commas. Yes, indeed, we also know of cases where men have returned to their wives because of the murderous devil. What is that? In other words, that she did magic on him to return, and he did. So many people say, this is what I'm saying, I went to the medium or magician and so-and-so got better or so-and-so got a job or so-and-so's marriage was saved or so-and-so, well, my, um, my husband was now better or whatever. And, the, and, and as we'll see as time goes on in this talk, these things are temporary. Yes, the devil can. The devil's the one that's tempting someone to go out with others to go and commit adultery and the devil can also stop someone to do it. But he has a purpose for that. 
So this silly woman actually uh, thought to herself, oh, wow, you know, the, um, that my husband's now going to stay with me. Now I'll give you an example that I know of, that I dealt with. When I first became a priest, some people that were close to my family, that I knew as a young boy anyway, uh, I remember that the, them because the husband was a womaniser, you know, he used to go out with women. He was very controlling of his wife, very jealous. He used to physically abuse her. Now, some of you might say, oh, what did you do about it? I'm so I'm not sure what a 10-year-old would do. So straight away, people have all thoughts and think, oh, why did you... I was young, so this, this is what I saw. Um, he was physically abusive. So when I became a priest and I spoke to her, and she mentioned that she's been to mediums. I think I asked her, have you ever been to mediums and magicians? And she said yes, and they gave me what's called, in Greek, philakta, in English, amulets, or some little things that they wear on them to protect them. don't know what they're in Russian, but they're like uh, lucky things or protecting things for supposed protection from others, doing magic on them, or to make the person do something that they want. I told them that it isn't a, that, that, that that's a sin. Now, sh- sh- that you're not allowed to get these things because this is a great sin and it ties you to the devil. I said, you've got to burn them and you've got to go and confess. Which she did. After a t- short time, she came back to me and she was very upset. And she goes, she said to me, from the time that I burnt those um, amulets, my husband no longer listens to me. He's out of control. In other words, I worked out that what magic she did was on her husband to make him to be obedient to her. To make him not to go out with other women. To make him not hit her. Some of you might say, isn't that good? No, it's not. If she doesn't want to be bashed, she can leave him. She admitted to me, which I don't like to say because it's revolting, but I want to show you that these people, as much as they try and say things of God, they even say things like, these magicians even say things like, you get a priest to come to your house and do holy water. They, they even say things like that. And then some of them even say, oh, go have an unction done to get the people to have that confidence in them. And then you buy this special thing from me for 15000 20000 which will protect your husband or make your husband or protect your wife or whatever, 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 as we see from all these examples. And she admitted to me that part of the ritual, part of the the magician's orders for her to gain control of her husband was to put something in his coffee. She had to wait uh, for her to be able to do this she had to wait every 30 days. 
if you understand what I mean by that. So, but, to, but just in case some of you don't understand that the magician told her to use her own menstrual blood, put it in the coffee. Another example that Archimandrite Vasilius writes, a well-known writer on the occult refers to the following event. There was once a husband, a magician, he was a magician himself, who was about to set off, but not orthodox, on a long journey. He was certain that during his absence, his wife would cheat on him. In order to keep his mind at rest, he asked the devil to guard his wife. This done, he left. Don't think that these things are, uh, don't happen. A lot of people are involved in these things. As I said, maybe some that are really close to the church are not, but it is a very big problem. People run into these doors continually. The first thing his wife did was to introduce men into the house. Every evening she received visits. But what happened? No sooner did the woman get into bed, an invisible force propelled the stranger away from her. Like the first example we read where the man couldn't go with his wife. This is an example where the devil can even make those who are going to commit adultery not to, not to do. Every time she attempted to commit adultery, the same pattern was repeated. In the end, in the many times that she tried, she was unable to cheat on her husband. Her husband returned from his long journey. As soon as the devil saw him, he said, because these magicians do talk to demons, Some of them don't have that much power. Some of them have more. Some of them actually do talk to uh, spirit guides, as they call them. Some of them speak to the devil himself. I've taken good... And he said, the devil said to him, I've taken good care of your wife, but what, I had to be, what, I, what I've had to put up with, I really suffered. I've been through so much. Please do me a favour. Don't burden me with her again. I rather guard all the pigs in Saxony, and Saxony is a leading state of Germany and they're very famous for pig farming. And you know, pigs, they breed a lot. So for them to breed a lot, that means they have sex a lot. In other words, in other words, he'll rather he he can do a better job on the pigs than what he can on his wife, who was like worse than them because she just wouldn't stop. So he says, I rather don't burden me with her again. I rather guard all the pigs in Saxony than your wife. She did everything possible to get the better of me and to run riot with her body. So that's an example of where magic is used to even stop one spouse to commit adultery. Now, Father John Christiankin, he in a letter he wrote to someone, he said, the situation in your home gets worse and worse because you eagerly serve the enemy by charms, in other words, amulets, and adultery, you invited into your life the dark powers which are standing on end now that you have turned to God. Now, this is very important what Father John's trying to say. This person who wrote to him is, uh, is complaining about certain things that are happening. And he's saying, well, you invited the devil... You invited him because you went to mediums or whatever those magicians and you took on those amulets. 
you committed adultery, which sins, and you invited into your life the dark powers, which are standing on end. In other words, they are now fighting you back because you have turned to God. I remember a young fellow went to Manaphos and he, uh, when, he was in, when he was there, there was some things happening to him, like demonic things happening to him. So he runs to the abbot. What happened, I think, if I remember right, he was in, his, um, in the room, in the visitor's room, and, well, and he was awake. And while he was awake, all of a sudden the bed started shaking and the bed sheets started flying. And he runs to the abbot of the monastery, Father Vinicius, sorry, Father Haranabos Vinicius, um, a spiritual child of Elder Joseph. Anyway, he ran to him, all scared, very upset, and said, this and this happened. He goes, and he laughed. And the person was shocked. Well, why is he laughing? He laughed and goes, oh, it's because you used to work for him. He's very upset that he's going to lose you. Really simple. He's upset because you are now trying to get away from him because for all those years you were with him. People think, oh, once I become religious, then all these things will go away. If you visited those doors, they don't go away very easily. They have actually revenge. So he said, reciting prayers is not enough. Since you are praying to God and the mother of God in a state of hatred and anger. So he says, okay, you've turned to God. You've stopped committing adultery. You've stopped going to magicians. You're praying to God, which is good. But at the same time, you've got hate and anger for people. You've got to keep the commandments as well. You also, he said, you also voluntarily turned to a sorcerer, the enemy of God. Anyone who's been to these places, anyone, and there are many people here that have, before they came to the church, have been to those places. Even if it's just ringing up dollar psychic for $2.99 a minute or $1.99 a minute, things like that, it doesn't matter. Even if it's for curiosity, even if it's just to say, can you read my palm? All those things are problems. The fathers don't differentiate white magic, black magic, we'll talk about that later. You went, you went. You, so let's see what he says. You also voluntarily turned to a sorcerer, the enemy of God. So what we get from this letter is that we have to remember the sin that we did and repent. The fathers actually say you have to repent continually for the rest of our lives if we went to those places. Not just, oh, I've confessed, that's it, finished. No, continually we have to remind ourselves of what we did and to repent because, as you'll see, how serious the sin is. And also that if we want to get rid of these powers, we have to actually do the commandments of God. You know, you can't have hatred and anger for people and think they're going to go. So, is there any point in waiting for God's mercy or for anything good while you are in such a state of hate and, you know, that? Man cannot serve two masters. This is exactly what you are doing. Come to your senses. Number two, Father John Christiankin again. You need to bring forth repentance for your whole life especially for turning to the dark powers, which is what I just said before, for your whole life. 
This practice that Russians do and Greeks do and Serbians do whatever, or well, Serbians don't, don't even go to confession, but that's another problem, but those who do go to confession think, okay, I'll, I will confess it, finished. No, it doesn't work like that. God wants us to continue to repent for these big sins, like a woman done, uh, did an abortion. We don't just go, confess and say, I forgot it, that's it. But think about what has, has been done and produce fruits of repentance, which I'll explain later on, fruits of repentance. It's not enough just to go and be read a prayer of absolution, but you have to prove to God that you are sorry and that we do that through producing uh, fruits where the prince, like, for example, a person said to me once, I made a mistake, I took a morning after pill, God forgives, but what can you do? Why don't you purchase, order from overseas, there's these akathists for a, uh, an akathist, as a prayer, like nice prayer, that is done for women who have aborted their child, or even men, if they are the ones who are, who are involved as well. And, do, and give them to, out to people, give them out to the churches. You can send them anonymously. Or, some example, someone said to me, I, I, did, I did do um, magic, I did do something to do with magic. So one person said, okay, what should I do? I said, okay, depends on how well off you are. Buy this book, Confronting the Devil, Magic and Occult, order them. Um, I think um, I ordered on their behalf about 100, they paid for it. And then what we did is when people made inquiries from overseas or here or we sent them to priests to give out to people or just priests to read and that was sent out to a lot of people. That's good. That's, wor that's fruits worthy of repentance. That's what God wants. He doesn't want just us to go and confess. You need to bring forth rep repentance for your whole life especially for turning to dark powers. When people conduct the enemy of mankind into their lives, it, it becomes extremely difficult to break free of him. See what Father John is saying, a great holy saint? And not only he, you'll notice this is a consensus throughout the Orthodox Church. All the elders, all the saints, they all say the same thing. It is once you've gone to those places it's very hard to get the influence off. Yes, God forgives. And the, the one Holy Father explains it like this. When we sin, it's like you cut yourself. Okay, You cut yourself, you can be healed, but the scar will show. It's the same as the soul. The soul, when we sin, will, God will forgive, but the scars remain. And those scars affect us in our life. And one of them that affects us is that particular sin of these um, the demonic things. Number three, again, Father John Christiankin says, you must give offerings at the liturgy and malevolence for the health of your son. So obviously this woman, had a, her son must have had problems for his health. And he's saying, offer He's put his name in the liturgy. Get the priest to do malebans, which in Greek is like paraklesis. For the health of your son, that you go to clairvoyance only complicates your task. 
For this is a plea to the demonic powers. And by this plea, you and your son both fall under that their terrible authority. You need to repent of this. The same word, repent. So she did, she went to a clairvoyant. So she tied herself to the demons. And she also gave the name of her son, or maybe took him there, and tied him as well. That's what he's saying there. He goes, it complicates because you've, you and your son both fall under their terrible authority. Who's there? The demon's authority. See, we're, now we're starting to see, some of you are starting to say, oh, I thought it was to do with really serious things of magic, but you're saying here that it's even, what? Astrology. Horoscopes. Some of you might say, oh, I just I read my um, horoscope. So our lives are determined by the position of Jupiter and things like that. And some people will say, I go to church, I commune, I pray, I look at the horoscopes, I look at the zodiacs, whatever. I believe that I'm a Sagittarius or I'm a Scorpion and therefore I'm this and that. So everyone's character is determined by when they were born. Or, our, or things are going to happen in our lives depending on where the stars are. This is a denial of God. So even something is supposedly small, but in the church fathers, those things are equivalent to going to magicians. And people who have done that need to repent. Uh, number four. I have an example. This is an example that I experienced myself. There was a woman whose children started going to church. And she wasn't very happy. Orthodox woman. She wasn't very happy. Her children were changing even though they were over 20. Some people, they don't let go. So what she did is she went to a magician. One day, out of the blue, she started saying, wailing, and I shouldn't have gone, and I shouldn't have gone, and they're telling me, and they're telling me, and she was going like a, like a crazy person. And she admitted that she went to those places to do magic so the children don't go to, 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 to not to go to church, silly things. And um, she was pulling, she was like scratching herself, and she was um, saying they're telling me, and she was hearing voices. So her children took her to the priest, to a Greek priest, and. Um, you know, and she was in a very bad state. And the Greek, the priest said to her, like, what did you do? You know, don't we speak here every Sunday saying, don't go to these places. Now you might say, but you said earlier that the priests don't usually say it. This one, I said, many don't, but some still do. And he's one of them. He was a very, very good uh, priest. 
And he started scolding her, going, how, why did you go to these places? So he took her in and he confessed her. And after that, um, uh, she was put into a mental institution. And there she stayed for some weeks. She got better. But later on, because you know how we, we just heard now Father John Christiankin says, you've got to repent of this. Got to repent, got to repent. Thing. What she did later on is she said, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. He made me sick. Who's the he? Me. I, I made her sick. Because her children were going to church because of me. So she said that uh, he made me sick. And the children go, but I thought you got sick because you went to the magician. Because what? When did, what did I? Did I do that? So where's the repentance? And that woman really has not seen a very good day. Now some of you might say, how do we know that some of these aren't just mental illness? That's coming towards the end. How do we differentiate between mental illness and possession? Because sometimes someone who's under the influence can have some similar symptoms to someone who's mentally ill. And this is a very important thing because I've met a lot of people who say, oh, I've got, I'm possessed or I've got demonic problems. I need to find out that um, they were taking a certain tablet which was making them crazy. Or another person says, I can't breathe, I can't breathe because someone's done magic on, them, on me. I need to find out that they've got acid reflux. <laughs> now, many people say, I have, I have nothing to repent of I don't, go to, I don't do magic to others. What does it have to do with me? I, I don't, I, some people even say, I only do white magic, which is for good. I don't do black magic. People believe that white magic is called white because it's, it, it's said to do only good. Because they do, they're doing good things. Like their son might be sick or their husband might be sick or their son and daughter-in-law might be having marital problems. So they go to a medium to find out has someone done something to them or to do something to stop them. That's what they say that's what white magic is. Black magic is when you do something evil to someone. A lot of that stuff that we read, a lot of that white one can say that those people believe they're doing good. But but the fathers say that this is a great error. How is it possible for the murdering devil ever to do anything good, because that's what, that's what Christ called him, a murderer. Murderer of what? Of souls. He wants to murder souls. Murder souls means to cut them off from God. That's his, that's his mission. That's what he wants. And even if it appears that he's doing something good, he has other reasons. He might do something that appears good, but he has one purpose, to grab that soul at the time of their death. Whether black or white magic, it's all the same. All these things attract or they invite the demons in our life. Now, let's have a look at some of these examples. The evil eye, or as some fathers call it, the jealous eye. I remember as a young person when I went to Greece around 16 to visit my relatives for the first time, and I wasn't feeling well. And then they were saying, Matiasma, Matiasma, which means, you know, someone, so I didn't understand what they were talking about. 
and they got they that something to do with they got a cup and then they put oil and then they cross it and they did some something they were mumbling there. And yes, if the oil does some special shapes or something, that means that someone has done the evil eye or something like that. Now, so I didn't, didn't know about that, those things, what, what it all meant. So let's have a look. The evil eye belongs to those who have evil within them. A person full of poison. Instead of going to a priest, people go to a woman who supposedly specialises in such cases, so some people who think they've got something wrong, that someone gave them the evil eye, they run to these people. They mix all in water and do some prayers. And the prayers usually are a mixture of, of um, religious words and some other words. And cross it. They even do the cross over it. This is a big sin both for the person who does it and the person who goes to those people. People often say, when she did the prayers and mixed the oil and water and crossed it, I got better. Now, the, the, this father here, Father Vasilius, there, he says, well, firstly, you might have got better because it was only psychological. It wasn't actually the evil eye itself. And in your mind, you got better because this person done prayers. That, that's a possibility too. People can make up that they're sick. One person rang me one day and very upset, crying really bad and said that, you know, something's wrong with me, something's wrong with me, someone or something, something's not right. And doesn't, you know, priests need to take a bit of time to ask a couple of questions. Very simple. Usually it takes a couple of minutes. Okay, so what's wrong? I don't know, I've got like a demonic thing on me and I'm very upset and uh, I feel this, this, this and that. I go, tell me about your day. This, 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 this. Okay, interesting, interesting. Then we come to a certain point. Okay, let's go back to this point here. You said you went to a job interview. And what happened at the job interview? I didn't get the job. And how did that make you feel? Upset. And when did you start feeling that someone did the evil eye on you? From the time I didn't get the job. In other words, there was no evil eye. That person just became disturbed. The original problem could have been psychological or emotional or it could have even been the devil who makes the person sick and can come off the person. As long as the, the devil, what he wants is he just wants people to go to those places. So the devil can make a person have a headache, then you go to these places and the headache goes. So in other words, he can apply pressure to the head person can get a headache or get or feel like there's, there's some that their head's in a vice and then they go to this uh, to this person she does a bit of oil mix in there with um, oils on oils and all that and then later on he undoes the vice undoes the vice I'm better the oil worked Archman driver just writes in the book a man said the following story to a priest from the age of 14, his family would take him to be exercised by a woman who would say strange prayers. In other words, to a woman who used to do these evil eye things. They call it exorcismus, a stupid uh, thing. They, uh, they actually believe that they're doing exorcisms, that they're taking away evil. 
As, as he grew up, he himself began to have the power of the evil eye. Something bad happened to anyone he admired. People would have accidents around him. So like it says in the book, for example, he saw a woman, he looked at the woman, um, had some bad thoughts, whatever, and the woman would fall down. So that is what happened, that he began to carry with himself satanic energy because he was taken by his parents to those places whereby this person reading, reading these prayers continually made that person become demonic themselves and became a person who was able to have this evil eye and do it. He attended a church service one day and suddenly at the most holy point of the service he felt unwell. Usually these people who, have in, who are under the influence don't like the great entrance and they don't like the consecration when the bread and the wine turn to body and blood. He became confused. He broke out in a cold sweat. He could not even stand. Anyway, he then went out somehow and he went in to find this woman who used to do these evil eye prayers when he was younger. And he, he, said, he asked her, can you please do the exorcism for me? Well, while she was doing that, suddenly he noticed something which shocked him deeply. The face of the woman was transformed. She had become really horrible to look at. Her face took on a strange appearance. Her mouth looked more like the muzzle of a wild beast. In other words, her nose, mouth came elongated out and she actually looked like, like an animal. She then gave him a good luck charm, an amulet in other words, and told him to wear it so that nothing bad would happen to him and he, and he did recover. And the father says he, with the help of the devil. After this unforgettable experience, the man lost no time in going straight to confession. From then on, he stopped putting the evil eye on people. Now, this transformation, uh, sometimes God allows because this guy obviously was ignorant, he didn't know. Sometimes God allows people, so many people have told me, they go, I went to this place and I don't know why, but I just felt my, my blood run cold and I kind of had this funny feeling and I knew to, I just wanted to leave. So God does that for those who are ignorant, people who don't know. God allowed him to see her for what she is. And I will tell you experience of that, that particular thing later on, these transformations. Number two. And now, for, so that's, that, that's the evil eye. Then we've got this fortune tellers, mediums, psychics, clairvoyants. Fortune tellers and mediums are those who read tea leaves, coffee cups, cards, read palms, etc. So they can tell you your future or the present or to find a missing person or a hidden treasure, for example, or a lottery ticket, or whether your family have had done magic on you, or who did it. Um, they are also called diviners. So these people, you don't have to go to them anymore. As I said, I looked that up. Dollar psychic, dollar ninety nine, two, or some $2.99 per minute, including GST. You may know someone who does this, right? 
You may know someone who does this. Not for money, even for a joke. Oh, my mother does it, she reads the cup. Some people might say. Even for fun. And you must not participate and tell the person that's doing it that it's wrong because they need to go to confession, even as a joke. How many people play those jokes uh, or think, oh, let's do a Ouija board, let's do a circle there and put the cup there and and call on the spirits as a joke, and then people became possessed. I had one woman who said to me that her daughter was having a lot of trouble. I've mentioned this before. The daughter was only 13, 14. And she said that that her daughter would see someone or something like that, but who was already dead. Sounds like that movie, you know, I see dead people and that. But, uh, and I thought to myself, this girl must be sick, must be mentally ill, you know, or maybe she watched that movie, you know, I see dead people and things like that. Or medium. All these movies now, all these shows, all to do with all these things. It's becoming more and more. Hollywood knows that those type of things to do with clairvoyance, psychics, uh, psychic detectives, all those shows now on television, on films, they make big money, even more than sexual um, uh, movies. People are very, very keen. Why? Because they've got, they don't have God. And the soul seeks the spiritual. The soul thirsts for spiritual. And when they don't go to the correct spiritual, like in the Second World War, as those who were in Greece, they used to tell me stories that they were so hungry during the time that the Germans were there that they used to go to garbage bins, to the garbage bins of the Germans when they used to throw the food out and open the garbage bins to get the food when they were living in Athens. The ones in the villages, my mother said, because she was living in the village at the time, she said, we lived off the, off the, um, the herbs, the greens, like dandelions and things like that. But the Germans came, they took the eggs, they took the oil, they took uh, the wheat, they took everything. She goes, we are. but the ones in Athens, they were dying. And only when they could get to some garbage bins, to somewhere where the Germans' officers were and things like that, they used to try and get some food out of there. That's the same as these people. They're so hungry for the spiritual, they know. They've gone through. They've got the money. They've gone through the sex. They've gone through the fun. They've gone through all these things, but their soul still is not happy. It wants the spiritual. Instead of turning to Christ, they turn like these beggars to these things and eat scraps. But unfortunately, these scraps cause bacteria and problems and can kill you. Communication with the dead. Whether you go to a medium or even do it yourself or believe in dreams and visions, even as a joke when someone does a seance, as I said before, I saw that girl, that's why I forgot what I was going to say. So I thought to myself, she's mentally ill. And the mother, I said to the mother, tell me about her, did she ever, because no, she was normal, suddenly this and that. I go, okay, I have an idea. Does your daughter have any contact with someone who's into the occult? She goes, her first cousin. Go tell me about him. He's a, he's a person who is demonic. And he would often, when we used to go to his place, 
he would often tell my daughter, let's play games. Let's play some games. And ever since those, I said, okay, so when did these problems started? She goes, I think it started from the time that she indulged in those games with him. How does this person look? She goes, this person looks really scary. He's got evil eyes and things like that. And it happened from then on. She goes, what does, he, what does she need? Okay, look. Um, we'll do commemorations. Put her name in the liturgy. I said, have you gone to any mediums to try and undo these things? Or did you go to any clairvoyance or people with crystal balls? She goes, no. So don't go there because if you don't go there, then the church's prayers can help straight away. As long as you don't go there. If you go there, it's a bigger job. Go, have you gone? She goes, no. Okay, we'll do the prayers, liturgies, commemorations, malebans. And then after a few weeks, how is she now? She goes, all those things are gone. She doesn't see anything anymore. Now, was it psychological? Was it? I, I uh, believe it was demonic because of him, because of that guy. Now we go on to the... Uh, so this communication with deads and things I don't do... Yeah, very dangerous. Now, the good luck charms. Obtaining something from a, uh, from a magician to protect you from the evil eye, or magic, or bad, bad luck, etc., that's what these good luck, these are these amulets, what we call. Like some people call them good luck charms. In Greek, philakta. I don't know how they call in Russian, but uh, some people even wear those blue stones with the eye, as if that the blue stone's going to help them to, to think. Uh, I mean, uh, what's wrong with just wearing a cross? What do you have to wear the, uh, blue, the, the blue eye for? Or the blue stone with the eye in it? They pay a lot of money, and I mean big money. I've, I've, I've had people come and I've said, how much did you give? 20. The Zora goes, $20 isn't much. 20,000 Zora, not $20, $20,000, $30,000. Mortgage their houses. Later on, later on when you help them to get away from these places, these people who gave big money, when they would go start coming to church, which made them better, by the way, it was so hard for them to even give for commemoration of their names, whatever. It was so hard even for them to give $20. Even 10. These same people who used to give 10, 20, 30,000 couldn't even, they found it so difficult. See, when it's for satanic reasons, people are willing to give big money. Like some of these scams that exist. They go, oh, we can help, we can multiply your money. Not, not magic things, just these people, we can multiply your money. You hear all the time on the, on the news, people that give fifty, sixty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 and then later on they're crying on the television because they lost their, their, they lost their money. So easily just give money to people. But not to the poor, not to the church, not to anything, not to get give give some money, give give send some money to a monastery, get your name commemorated. Father Archimandrite Vasilius writes there, priests of Christ, 
through their priesthood, bless water and sanctify it. So the priest the God, uh, uh, imparts grace. When he blesses the water, he imparts grace to the water and the water becomes holy water. It doesn't go off. It doesn't matter how long you keep it, it doesn't go off. We don't put salt in it. The Roman Catholics put salt. I suppose they wouldn't drink it. We, we drink holy water. I don't think they would drink it. Um, I think they just sprinkle. When we drink this sanctified water, we drink the blessing, namely the grace of God which is indwelling in the water, that is, in the matter, in the substance. In other words, the grace of God, his blessing, is also transferred through matter. Something similar happens on the side of the devil. His priests, or magicians, bless satanically matter when they do magic. It is through this matter that satanic energy is passed to people. So the priest blesses an object, it's sanctified. The magicians bless in their own way their objects and that makes them have satanic energy. The, the, the materials that are used in these magic things that they do are nails, needles, soap, egg, oil and wax figurines that they make up, bat or snake bones, which we read already previously, animal or human hair and nails, soil from graves or skulls, human or animal blood, women's soiled sanitary products, like I, which one I read, I go, oh, reminds me of that woman that I spoke to many years ago, what she said. And they even use Holy Communion. Now you say, how do they use Holy Communion? The Holy Apostles in their canons say that a that, that the faithful must not partake of Holy Communion using any implement. The faithful are to partake of Holy Communion they, uh, like the priests do now. That is, that the lay person would come up, put his hand out, and the priest or bishop would put the Holy Body of Christ in their palm, and then they would eat it. And then they would drink from the cup, from the chalice, the blood of Christ. What was happening was satanic people were pretending to partake of this of the Holy Communion. So they would get the Holy Body and then they would go like that and pretend that they were eating it, close their hand to take it to use in their satanic rituals. St John Chrysostom contrary to the canons of the church, he changed the rules and he said from now on, because of these bad things that were happening, he changed it. Up to that time, people were communing separately like the priests do now. From then on, it was that for the people to participate, to partake of the, of the body and blood using the spoon, even though the apostles said not to, uh, because of the change of circumstances. So they, why does the devil want to use Holy Communion? Because defiling, 
When people progress in their Satanism, they use the icons, they tread on them, defile them, and things like that, because that brings them closer to him. The late Archimand Wright Haralambos Vasilopoulos in his book, Is There Magic? This book was written in Greek. I hope one day they do it in English. Uh, he was a very, he was a, a, an Archimand Wright of the Greek church in Greece. He died around the 80s, I think. He wrote beautiful lives of saints, all simple little, little, little booklets on many, many topics. And lives of saints, and one of them was magic, on masonism, on, um, um, and a lot of other issues. He helped a lot of people. In his book, it says he um, presents the astonishing testimony of a witness who attended a ritual performed by a witch and saw with his own eyes what happened. He says, the person said, I didn't believe the witch, so I decided to go with her. I went with her at midnight to a deserted place. That's true. That's when they usually like midnight and full moons and things like that. Stay, there, stay here, she told me, so I did. She went on and I watched her. She stopped. She undressed. Very interesting that even the people, I think it's the um, Wicca, uh, part of their, their rituals is, is the same thing. Um, <clears throat> orgies and I'm not sure if they do the orgies, but these undressing and uh, dancing frantically around fires and all these type of things. You know, all, all ugly things. What does the church use? Bread, wine, oil, um, um, fragrances, incense. That's what the church uses. What do they use? Bat wings, menstrual cycle things. Uh, fire, nudity, orgy, sex, a lot of their high priestess, priests of these ritual things, they're lesbians, it's just, it's just too much. So uh, that's what he's saying here, that she undressed, she motioned and called on something. She was calling the demons. <clears throat> I heard strange whistling sounds that were constantly getting louder. I then saw pitch black dogs and cats approaching from, their, from the surroundings. <clears throat> well, that's what he thought they were, but they were demonic. I was frightened, and he, and, he ends, and he ends his description, he said, the demons had arrived. So when these people go and do all these rituals, that's what they're going to do. Now, does magic cure illnesses? Because we often hear, no, oh, they cure, but my son got better, my husband got better, and this and that. Now, the father, the Archimandrai goes on and says, let's say somebody's sick, this person is suffering. <clears throat> And there is no hope for a cure. They've gone to doctors, they've gone to specialists, all those things. In their despair, the relatives ignore the merciful, crucified Lord and turn instead to the man-hating and murderous devil. In other words, they turn to a, a witch or a wizard or whatever, magician, in the hope of finding a cure. I was in Greece once and I was shocked when the wife of a priest, a presbyter, as we say in Greek, Martushka, I think in, in Russian way, or Papa Diaz, as they say in um, Serbian, <clears throat> just couldn't believe it, that she said that she went to one of them. A wife of a priest went to one of them because she was in despair about something and she wanted to get help. Maybe her child was sick or things like that. That's why I'm saying... 
Some of you will say, why is he talking about this stuff? I'm never going to go to these places. But as we're going to hear soon, when your child's dying and you're, and you're, and you're told that witchy poo down the street can, has made people supposedly better, I wonder what, whether the person will be tempted. Let's see. The witch with a doll figurine or photograph in front of her, we've heard that they use photographs, begins the therapy. Her assistance being the devil and her medicines, the bones from the left side of a frog, the blood of a pigeon or other bird, the heart of an eel, the skin of a snake, the shroud or a blue stone, I don't know what that is. Archimandrite Meletios from the holy mon monastery of Grigorio Manathos, who is a missionary, I think he took over the works of this um, Father Cosmas, blessed Father Cosmas of Zaire, Apostle to Zaire. He died in, an, in a road accident. And I think this particular, he, he's from the, he was from um, a monastery, Manathos, and when he died, I think this. Archimandrite Meletius took over his missionary work in Zaire, in Africa. And he says, um, <clears throat> he tells us how in 1984 he visited the town, some town there. He found there a shaman, I never know how to say that word, shaman, shaman, who was curing lots of people through magic. So a lot of the Africans were going there to their witch doctors, as they call them, and were, uh, were um, getting cured. So how do we look at that? St John Chrysostom tells us how the devil, as our enemy, doesn't want what's good for us. If he does cure us, he doesn't do so for our benefit but to harm us. Let's quote. This is now a quote from St John Chrysostom. This is his own words. The demons drive you out of paradise... They deprived you of that heavenly honour and now they're going to cure your body. In other words, how can the devil do anything good when all he wants is to take your soul to hell? They have no pity on the soul, so are they going to pity the body? They showed no mercy to the pigs. They drowned in the sea. So why should they show any to your body? We read in the gospel how the boy was possessed, if I remember right, and then the demon asked permission from Christ. Don't send us in away somewhere. Send us into the pigs. And God, Christ said, go. And they went into the pigs and then they made the pigs to go crazy and run off, into, off the cliff into the, um, into the uh, water. And there's a whole explanation of why they wanted to go into the pigs and things like that. It was just to cause more trouble because the Jews in that time, some of those Jews that were in that area were breeding pigs, which was illegal according to the law of Moses. So what happened was that when Christ came, they lost all their stock. So the demons knew that. They said, OK, we're going to have to make these people not listen to Christ We'll go into the pigs, we'll kill all the pigs, thousands of them, 
so that then the Jews will get upset and scared or whatever and upset that they lost their money and say to Christ, go away from here, which they did. In other words, they were more interested in their money and they were also scared that nothing else happens. So they told God himself to go away. They showed no mercy to the pigs they drowned in the sea, so why should they show any to your body, says St John Chrysostom. And even if with God's permission the devil does cure you, don't think he's done, any, done you any good. Now this is very important, with God's permission. Why would God allow the devil to cure someone? That's interesting. We'll come to that. He might have helped your body, but he's certain to have harmed your immortal soul because the devil knows only how to harm. Now, some of you might say, I don't understand that. How can God give permission to the devil to cure someone? Doesn't that mean that if people see that that magician made someone better, that would make people run to that magician? Why is God allowing that person to make, why? To make someone better. And the answer is, uh, this is my parenthesis to explain that because I read it somewhere else, but I'm just putting it in simple words. It's as if God is saying to the person, you want your body healed, you don't care about your soul, you've gone to these demonic people, then here, have your physical health, but know this, your soul will be bound to the devil. God allows, he himself allows the person to be cured so as to say to the person, you want it so much, there it is. Now, we come to the next point and say, but how about the people that are seeing that? What are we doing here? Why would God allow those people to witness that? Because that means more Christians would go to them, to these um, supposed healers. And the answer is that is that, yes, God wants that temptation there to test people. If they didn't make anyone better, well, what's the, what, why would God reward someone for not going? If they don't make anyone better, supposedly or whatever, then... Why would God say congratulations to the Christians who wouldn't go? Reward comes to the Christian who is tempted and says, I can get better there. Other people got better. But then the person says, does his cross and say, no, the church forbids those type of things. I'm not going to go there. I'd rather die if it's meant to be. But we'll come to that because there's more writings. Of course, St John Chrysostom goes on, God allows the demons to cure you in order to teach you a lesson. Oh, he said it there. That is, not to have anything to do with demons even when they're curing you. That's when I should have said about the test. Then I put in little brackets there, as a test to see whether you are tempted with the fact that someone has been cured. Mm. So St John Chrysostom did answer that. Sorry. I would rather die, says St John Chrysostom, than run to Christ's enemies for a cure. What's the good if my body is cured and my soul is harmed? 
What's the benefit of a little relief here on earth if it means being cast into eternal fire? What words are they? What words are they? That they are not the words of some philosopher. Not the word of some theologian, some modern theologian who thinks that they learn spirituality from the theological schools. These are the words of St. John Chrysostom. What and how powerful they are. I'm going to repeat it. I would rather die than run to Christ's enemies for a cure. What's the good if my body is cured and my soul is harmed? What's the benefit of a little relief here on earth? You get better maybe, and you might live another five years, 10 years, 20, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. How long can you go for? However, if it means being cast into eternal fire means to go to hell forever. And yet, Father Vasilius goes on, and yet you, a Christian, instead of mourning, instead of crying, rejoice and are proud that the devil has made you well. Oh, you know, I got better when I went to the um, Madame Natalia, whatever they, whatever they call themselves and all these names. I got better. From the book... Christian Morality by St. Nicodemus de Ayuriti, published by Institute for Byzantine and Modern Greek Studies USA. Very thick book, and uh, anything by St. Nicodemus is, uh, is, is great. And he has a section there. It's called, um, that the heading is, that those who practice magic or seek it, renounce and deny Christ and join the devil. Now, he writes... Do you see that other detestable woman who prepares potions in order to entice men into love? She likewise has called upon the demons and prepares her potions through the activity of demons. See, whether they're modern writers, whether they're ancient writers, they all speak the same. Whether it's St John Chrysostom, who was in the 4th century, whether it's St Nicodemus, which when was he, around the 18th century, something like that, uh, they all speak the same. Do you see... This is very important. Do you see that man who ties knots with thread, nails and human hair and whispers when a marriage is taken place? Now, this is important because people do this. He summons demons and invites them within and then, with their cooperation, binds married couples Oh, the accursed ones. Oh, the criminals, he calls those people, do that. Woe to those who engage in such a satanic practice. Uh, uh, they do not know the wretches. What a fearful punishment they are due to inherit. For they become the cause of an honourable marriage being dishonoured, of married couples hating each other, and of separating for the, for, forever, thereafter, those whom God has joined together. Now, the reason I'm reading these things is because this is what the church uh, does say, that, that, that there are horrible people who do these things out of jealousy for whatever reason. Now, you look today on the internet and we see that uh, a woman 
went out with a man, they had a fight, and then you see with what um, revenge, what hate that they uh, uh, write all these things against the person on the internet, out of revenge, out of hate. And even say lies, you know, I went out with that guy, he was horrible, I went out with that woman, she's this, 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 and all these type of things and destroy people. We see it happening now in schools, whereby, uh, especially among the girls, they tend to do it more, writing things against others. Well, the guys don't do it too, but it's a thing to be uh, on the school level. Uh, it's more that the girls do it. And, um, uh, and destroy people, make them commit suicide. And they know that. They know that it's going to make someone get sick. And they write things like, oh, why don't you jump off a cliff? Why don't you kill yourself? And all this. We hear about this in the news continually. So therefore, it's not uh, uncommon for people to have so much hate that they wish bad on someone. And there are those who don't use internets, they use magic to, to destroy because of jealousy or whatever other reason. Now, I've got a footnote that was in this book by, um, that, that's written, Christian Morality, and it actually explains what they do. This is an example of someone who um, does something on married, on married couples. Usually, as I said, practised by women. Now, that doesn't mean that we're against women. It's just, men have their sins, women have theirs. Women are more inclined to these things. Uh, it usually comes from jealousy. It says here, the magic's purpose is to kill the sex drive of the husband and so, and so to prevent the consummation of the marriage. That's why they do those things that they do in the marriage services, uh, so as they, that the man uh, is impotent, basically. The right itself is simple. Either the jealous girl herself or a witch employed by her attends the wedding, taking with her a piece of thread or string in which three loops have been loosely made. During the reading of the gospel or... The pronouncement of the blessing when the when the priest crowns and says uh, the crowns says, um, at that times when they join together, she pulls the ends of the strings the string forming thereby three knots in it, and at the same time mutters brief the brief incantation like a prayer, and the prayer is I bind n so so and so and so and so and the devil between them. That's the prayer that they do. I bind the man's name and the woman's name and the devil be between them. The thread is subsequently buried or hidden and unless it can be found and either be burnt or have the knots untied, there is small hope for the man to recover from his impotence. Uh, now, don't people can say, oh, you know, does that mean every time a man has that problem, it's someone's done magic? No. Some men have that problem because of medications. Some men have that problem because of physiological problems. Some men have that problem because of pornography and other things. Uh, there's a lot of reason for that, person, for, that, for that to happen. Do you see, says St Nicodemus, do you see those who observe the cries of birds? Because there are these magicians who listen to birds and the way that they quack and whatever, they, they, they make interpretations. Um, they also, uh, and, and also encounters with people. 
like some stupid tradition in Greece that when you meet a priest in the morning, if the, you know, in, on the road, that means you're going to have bad luck. That's the, the stupidities like that. Um, do you see those who keep, who leap over fires, those who practice fortune telling, those who foretell fortunes and fates through reading the palms? Do you see also those who, while not practicing magic themselves, nonetheless go seeking it from sorcerers when they are ill or have suffered some loss or are going through a court case or are experiencing some affliction or need? And I add to that, some people go and do it when their children are going to go and have, a, have an exam. Some go and do it because... Um, their son is continually having accidents, for example. Oh, someone's done something. Instead of working out to see that he's probably drunk. Or their business isn't going well. Or their son's marriage isn't going well. Or their daughters are not going all this, Or, you know, they're having trouble at work. Or why is this? Why is all this bad luck? And you hear people say, uh, even Christians, oh, it's bad luck. Someone's doing something to us. Everything's doing something to us. It's never that they've done anything wrong. It's always that someone's doing something anyway. So this is where the temptation occurs. When you've got these problems occurring and you hear other people say, I went to them, I went to Natasha, she did some special thing there, and now my business is going well. Like my computer technician, Muslim, but he actually um, said that um, he rang me up to ask, uh, even I'm orthodox priest, but anyway, he wanted to ask my opinion, because I respect you, and he said, I wanted to ask you, um, um, I broke up with my girlfriend, and um, I'm, not, I'm not going well, I don't know if she's doing things to me, so even they believe that stuff, she might be doing things to me, my business is going down, I keep on having accidents, uh, just nothing's going right, so I'm going to go to this Greek woman, had to be a Greek, obviously, I'm going to go to this Greek woman, who does some things. I said, don't go. So what does your religion say about it? He goes, oh, they say don't go. I said, oh, so yours, yours says it too. Yeah, no. I said, it's demonic. She told me that I've got to get some eggs. And I've got to get these eggs and take them to the grave and put them on a grave in a certain way and things, all oh, stupidities. And he went. didn't look very pleasant last time he came to, com to fix the computer up. So I think that um, these things, are, people get tempted. Now, he's not orthodox. And I'm not interested in what they do for their own prayers or blessings. That doesn't interest me. What interests me is the orthodox Christians that go to those places. Because something's bad happening. Because they don't have faith in God even though they commune and confess and they go to church and all these things and have saints and have icons, but when the going gets rough, they run. All of these, all of them, I say, this is what Saint Nicodemus is saying, without any exception, both those who perform magic and those who submit to it, both those who provide magical items and amulets and those who receive them, all of them become the abodes of unclean spirits. They become uh, houses of unclean spirits. All of them renounce Christ and the faith of Christ and join Satan and devote themselves to the worship and pomp of Satan. Hence, 
They are all deniers of the promises that they made at holy baptism to renounce Satan and all his worship and to join Christ and to observe his faith and his words. Oh, the pitiful calamity, oh, the great perdition of Christians, St. Nicodemus is saying. When we go to those places, we are denying Christ. Because when we were baptised, our godparent and most of our godparents didn't even believe. So it's just very strange that um, people have to be very careful who they pick as godparents because they are actually answering the questions on our behalf from when we're young. Now, my godfather is very, very interesting that uh, I didn't know much about him. All I just used to wait for is the toy every Christmas. <laughs> um, he bought me once a remote control, like a car. Very excited. That was my highlight. That's what I knew about him. He went to Greece. Later on, when I went to Greece for a visit, I decided to go and see him before I came to the church. He was all right, took me around. You know, he was uh, very nice to me. But when I became religious, he said to me one day, I want, I, want to, I want to say something to you. I go, what is it? He goes, whatever you do. I didn't tell him anything of my what I want to do. He goes, whatever you do, don't become a priest. That will be the worst. So that was my pious godfather. Uh, the godparents answer on our behalf. Do you renounce Satan and all, your, all his worship? And the fathers of the church say that the worship means what? That we bow down to Satan? No. When we renounce all his worship, it means when we renounce all his practices, all those demonic things that he has, those magicians and all that stuff, that's what it means. As soon as you are doing those things, if we do any of those things, we are in reality worshipping him. Do you join Christ? Yes, I do join Christ. Do you renounce Satan? Then spit on him three times. That's what the Godfather is supposed to do. Elder, Cleop uh, Elder Cleopa of Romania, a Romanian elder, so he said, then there is a penance. Then there is the penance over several years from taking Holy Communion, which can last from 7 to 15 years or even 20 years. Some of the canons of the church are very strict. More that, that later on. Then the ones who believe in, then the ones who believe in and resort to charmers, chase God's grace from their hearts and bring the devil's spirit into their house and heart. As soon as someone goes, St. Elder Cleopa, he was, the, he was the greatest elder in, um, in Romania at the time. He was like the spiritual father of the whole of Romania. People would run. Thousands of people would run to, to him. Very holy person. And he's saying here that as soon as you go to those places, you drive away God's grace. Then people who cast spells and believe in them cast off Christ and unite with the devil. Then people who cast spells and resort to such people that perform them are no longer entitled to the name of Christians, but of apostates. And then the ones who are guilty of such a serious sin are punished by God with severe and, and unrecoverable illnesses, with sufferings in their families, damage, conflicts, poverty and terrible death. Elder 
Cleopa, and this is true, and that I have, I have experienced as well. You always can pick it out. As soon as people come and they've got all these disasters going, the first thing I ask, have you gone to a magician? Tell me the story, and the story is that this and this happened, and they went. I go, was everything nice at the beginning? They go, yeah, how did you know? I go, always. Oh, everything was good. He goes, yeah, and did that give you more confidence? How do you know that? <laughs> and I said, um, so it was going really well. Yes, and what happened then? Just everything went wrong. And what does is, what is Elder Cleopas say? The, the, then the ones who are guilty of such a serious sin are punished by God with severe and unrecoverable illnesses, with suffering in their families, like the family just becomes a whole mess, damage, conflicts, fights, etc., poverty and terrible death. And if they don't confess to a priest and do not repent for their sins with tears all their lives, they cannot be saved. Interesting, important, listen to what he says. They need to confess. So some of you, if you have visited those places, don't despair. Just go, confess, repent. See what he says? Repent with tears. All their lives, like what the other father said, John Christiankin and all the rest of them all said the same thing. Continually repent. It says, and if they don't confess to a priest and do not repent for their sin with tears all their lives, they cannot be saved. If they do not abandon their practices and do not repent, wizards, meaning magicians, and people who believe in them and who resort to the devil's help, abandon the church completely. Another thing which I notice with these people, which is what he's saying, is that they could have been even churchgoers in the beginning, then they went to those places and slowly, slowly, slowly they leave the church altogether. And that's the sign. And that's what the devil wants. So he says... You go to the magician, I'll make you a bit better, I'll give you some good luck. And then slowly, slowly those people go more and more and more to these places and they, keep, they drift away from church. And that's the whole purpose. And their bank account's empty too. That is, they separate from Christ and give themselves willingly into the hands of the enemy and if they die in that sin, they will not even be allowed to have a priest at their funeral, but rather, just as pagans and the fallen from faith, they will be sent into the toils of hell for their eternal punishment. These are the terrible consequences of witchcraft. They don't mince words, the elders, do they? They don't mince words. Elder Thaveos, which you're going to hear in a minute, of Serbia, and all the great elders that lived in our times people that were full of grace, they, um, they all speak the same tone. Not this stupidity of don't judge. And the priest only should speak about love. Like the Beatles. All we need is love. All these songs that are around. What do they know about love? All these songs that are around. Love and love and love and I love you and oh, you look beautiful today and thank you, I love you because you said I look beautiful. These stupid... <laughs> These stupid things, but if I if I say if I say you look ugly, does that mean does that mean that you hate me? All the time, it's all to do. They know nothing about love. In the in the book of confession by Saint Nicodemus, the priest is supposed to ask 
questions of different types. Of course, today they don't do it much, which they should. Personally, I'm a, I'm I'm a, I'm not for the Russian practice of these quick confessions, especially not for people who are, go to church often. That's okay. But for people who come up for the first time to confess and then they just stand there and they've got these few minutes. I don't like that. Greeks do it better and the Greeks, how they do it is they go, you make an appointment with the priest, the pri you go there to the priest, you sit down and you uh, open up your soul and the priest has time to, op to ask questions. Perhaps, my child, have you practised magic or cast a spell on a couple, or cast a spell on animals, because they can also make animals die, or protect their animals from foxes and things like that, so that a wolf does not eat them, or perhaps you made amulets or charms or wore them, or have practised some sort of magic. Perhaps, my child, you have sought magicians or fortune tellers to help you when you were ill, or to find something for you which you had lost, or to reveal riches to you, or to perform other like things. So that's how Saint Nicodemus says the priest should do, should do things. Ask questions. Now, Father John Christianken, I've noticed in his in his letters, he would always say to the person, "Have you done an abortion? Have you committed adultery? Because if you have, if you haven't confessed it, nothing's going to go right. Fix it up." Today, the priest has to go further, has to talk about the unnatural things as well, which in the media today, they talk about it as if it's nothing, unnatural sexual acts. And it's like nothing. But more on that when we do the talk on marital relations and things like that. St. Nicodemus also says, Canon 65 of St. Basil, penances those who have confessed their sorcery or magic with the penance given to a voluntary murderer. So St. Basil says someone who's gone to a magician should be punished the same as someone who's voluntarily murdered someone, which is usually 20 years back in those days. His 72nd canon likewise sentences those who deliver themselves over to fortune tellers with the same penance. Canon 61 of the Sixth Ecumenical Council penances such people for six years and Canon 24 of Ankara for five years. Canon 3 of St. Gregory of Nyssa penances those who go to fortune tellers out of disregard and spurn, much like disdain, for the faith of Christ as those who have voluntarily denied Christ. So if someone denied Christ for some convenience, like some of the Greeks and Serbians when they were living under the Turks, some denied their faith as Orthodox Christians and became Turks, became Muslim, so that they can get benefits, you can get positions. And he said that those who go to magicians should be penanced, penanced meaning not to commune for certain, as those who denied Christ purposely. But those who went to magicians because they became faint-hearted out of some necessity or pressure, in other words, there are some who out of weakness uh, uh, went to those places because, as I said, their son was dying or something bad was happening. It's still wrong. He says he penances those, he penances like those who denied Christ on account of tortures and sufferings, that is for 11 years. Now, in the church, there were two groups of people that denied Christ at times. There were people that denied Christ for for advantage. They weren't pressured, 
They weren't told, if you don't deny, we're going to kill you or torture you. They denied for their own purpose, to get some benefit. And then, then, then there was the other group who denied Christ because they were being tortured or they were in fear of being tortured. And out of weakness, they denied Christ, but then later on they came back to the church and confessed. He says, unlike the others that are given uh, penances not to commune for 20 years, he said those people will give 11 years back in those days. And those who go to magicians because of some need, they lost, they lost it, they were hopeless, they were, uh, they were because of some need, he goes, it's still wrong, 11 years. Now, later on, the canons were changed somewhat by St. John the Faster, who in his, in his 32nd canon, he says, sorcerers and magicians, and also women who make amulets or charms and tell fortunes, are penance for three years not to receive Holy Communion and to eat dry foods after the ninth hour, that means after three o'clock in the afternoon, they're not to eat anything all day, eaten only as much as is necessary to live and to do 250 prostrations every day. If they agree to, meaning dry foods mean no oil, uh, to eat dry foods uh, for three years after um, three o'clock in the afternoon. These are very strict canons, even though they don't get... Because some people said, oh, it's too long, 20 years. By the way, some canons even say that a person who's gone to a magician shouldn't commune until their deathbed. Some other canons. But anyway. Um, so St. John the Faster comes on and says, okay, if you want to hurry it up, if you want to commune quicker, because the Christians had that love to commune, he says, okay, we'll let you commune after three years, uh, but you have to do this fasting and you have to do 250 prostrations. Again, today Christians can't do that. And that's why the spiritual fathers of today have basically uh, cut it down quite a lot because Christians have lost their um, sense. It's not... Um, the, the morals are very low now and spiritual fathers have, are becoming softer, but they should still give something so that people can know it's wrong. This is wrong, they should say. This is wrong what you did, depending on how much how the person, how repentant they are, how long ago did they do it, etc., all those things, then the priest can determine three months, one year, six months, etc. But something there because it helps the person to know that this is wrong. I noticed that someone at the back got a bit shocked when I was reading that. That church doesn't practice those things because people... Uh, remember that these canons were written for Christians who knew God's law. Today... We are living in a society where the Orthodox Christians don't even know anything. They don't even know. I meet people and I say, did you know that that's wrong? They go, really? Why is it wrong? They don't, they don't know. So how can you apply a canon which was meant to be given to those Christians who were strong, who were living in times where Orthodoxy was strong? The same book, Christian Morality... This is what St. Nicodemus says. Shall I tell you something even more significant? Wizards and witches and all who call for wizards and witches will not only receive the same and similar torment as unbelievers, but will receive greater torment and will be condemned more severely. Why? He's saying that, that, that people that have gone to magicians or those who have done that will be punished in the next life 
more than unbelievers, more than pagans. Why, he says, because those who worshipped idols and the impious did not believe in Christ, nor were they baptised in the name of the Holy Trinity. But just as far, just as from the outset they were born in impiety, so also they will die, not knowing Christ, in other words. But Christians who were previously orthodox and faithful, who were baptised and sons of God by grace, who were nourished by the precious body and blood and given to drink with his precious... Sorry who were nourished by the precious body of the Lord and given to drink with his precious blood, have subsequently despised and rejected the faith, the orthodox faith, have rejected baptism, the mysteries, adoption into divine sonship, God and Christ, and have had, had recourse to demons, become sorcerers and called for wizards and witches. If you read the Bible, the Gospel, you will notice there that Christ did not speak harshly even about those who were doing sins like fornication or things like that. The, the ones he spoke harshly about were the Pharisees. Why? Because they were the religious of the time. They were the ones that were keeping the law. They were the ones who were reading the Bible continually and they were not leading a proper life. They were hypocritical. That's where we get the word Pharisee from. Acting religious, but they weren't really. They are the worst. In the, in the Revelations, it says there that Christ said, I prefer you to be hot or cold, but the lukewarm I vomit out. What does that mean? I prefer you to be hot meaning to be pious, to be leading a spiritual life, following God's commandments, attempting, even if you fail, repent, but you're struggling to keep the commandments. That's the hot. The cold are those who don't know. They don't know anything, but one day they can become hot. But they will give less word because they don't know. But the lukewarm, who are the lukewarm? The lukewarm are orthodox Christians who go to church, who know the commandments and reject them and pretend and don't do sincere confessions and don't, and don't actually follow the commandments properly and, and, and with, with struggle. He says, those people, I vomit them out. And that's why in the, in the New Testament we see that Christ, when he used that whip and he went out and knocked the, 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 the tables over in the temple because they were treating the religion like a business. That's why he said, woe to you Pharisees, hypocrites. He used the words hypocrites. You're like graves that you look nice on the outside, but inside are dead, filthy bones. That's how he referred to the religious of the time. And that's how he refers to us. If we lead, if we say we are orthodox and we disdain, reject the commandments, whether we go to magicians, whether we just don't even do the proper commandments, cheat on the husbands, cheat on the wives, all these type of things... And don't even care, different if you, if you fell. Okay, some people will fall, they repent. We all fall. 
but not to reject and lead lives and pretend that we're religious. Saint Nicodemus says that sorcerers and all who have recourse to sorcerers are deniers of the faith and betrayers of piety. He is attested by the divine Chrysostom, which we already read earlier, in his aforementioned homilies, and also by the divine Gregory of Nyssa in his third canon. Again, that such denial of the faith is worse than idolatry and impiety, and that consequently carries a much heavier punishment than idolatry. That is, that this too is clear, first from Holy Scripture, and then he goes on to say something. Secondly, from the life of Saint Macarius the Great, for when this saint came across a skull in the road that belonged to a high priest of the idols, Saint, there's a, this is a famous story of Saint Macarius the Great. He was walking along the desert there, along, along the road, and he came across a skull. And the skull, which he knew from his enlightenment, was the skull of a priest of the idols, a pagan. And he asked it whether there were other persons in torment beneath the idolaters and unbelievers in Hades. The skull replied that they were those who have informally been faithful Christians had subsequently denied their faith and piety. Let's hear the words. The elder, this is now from the um, life of saint, the elder once again posed a question to the skull. Are there in hell other torments that are worse than those which you have described because the, the pagan priest was describing to the saint the, uh, the torment that he was undergoing in hell, in Hades there. And the, 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 the pagan priest answered, below us there are even more frightfully hellish things, the skull replied. And who is punished there? St Macarius said, we in the end, and the skull answered, we in the end enjoy to some extent the mercy of God since we did not know him. Those, however, those, however, who knew God and despite this denied him are below us and suffer far more hellish torments. That's why I always say to people, don't say, oh, look at them, they're unbelievers. Look at them, they're Hindus. Look at the Muslims. Look at this. And we all, like, that's people that become zealous in the faith. They think that they're super orthodox there and they're putting down every other religion. And I say, look at the way the saints spoke about those people. He never, they didn't say who's going to go to hell and who's not. They, they leave that to God. What they knew, what the saints knew, is that they as Orthodox Christians, knowing the truth, if they deny the truth, they will go deep, deep down, as it says here. Then St. Nicodemus continues, O wretched sorcerers, O unfortunate diviners, would it not have been better if you had not been born into this world at all than to have been born only to receive after death a severer punishment than pagans. And the last section on this um, by St Nicodemus says as follows. I will now conclude, says the saint, and place a seal on the present topic with the words of the divine Chrysostom and St Basil the Great. And I tell you that if you Christians have not practised magic, 
have not even summoned wizards or witches to cast spells for you or to give you amulets for your illnesses and have not run to them to reveal certain items to you or help you in some need, if I repeat, you have guarded yourselves against such things, know that on the day of judgment, Christ will take each of you by the hand and displaying you before the universal audience of angels and archangels and all the saints from ages past will proclaim these words. This is what Christ will say to those who didn't go to those places. This man, this per no, that's Anthropos, this man, this person, who once was ill at a time when everyone was urging him to call for wizards or witches to cast spells over him and cure him of his illness, Nevertheless, for my name's sake and for fear of me, did not consent to do such a thing, but preferred to die than to deny his love for me. End quote. Thus does the golden mouth of St. John assure us, quote, this is St. John's word, that was St. Nicodemus before explaining, this is what St. John says, consider what crowns you will receive there when, in the presence of all the angels and archangels, Christ will then come forward and take you by the hand and will lead you in the midst of that stage and say for all to hear, this man who was over, once overcome by a fever, when countless people urged him to be rid of his sickness for my, for my name's sake and for fear of me, lest he should offend me in any way, repulsed and disdained those who were promising to cure him by means of magic and chose rather to die in his sickness than to betray his love for me. And that's the words of St. John Chrysostom. When I read a lot of these things, when I was researching this topic, I was amazed and I found it so powerful that the way that the saints speak and write. So, never say, I will never do that. I'm orthodox, I'm strong. Never say that. Say, with God's help. Let's not be like Peter who said to Christ, I will never deny you. And he did, three times. Why? Because he trusted in his power. I will never deny you. With God's help, we say, with God's grace, I will not go to those doors. Because, as I said, when you have your spouse or your child, that you've gone to all these doctors, whether they've got a mental problem, whether they've got a physical problem, whether they've got a demonic problem even, and you think to yourself, Oh, that, that, you know, that person has made others better, supposedly. When you see someone dying, you get tempted. And that's why I'm doing these talks as well. You'd be surprised how many Christians have made mistakes. How to protect oneself. Say someone doesn't go to those places. Well, for, 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 if you've gone, obviously we've got confession, we've got God's forgiveness. 
But there's a special, special reward for those that have never gone on the last judgment. What happens if people don't go to those places, but people might do something on us? That happens. Elder Cleopa Elder Romania says, to those afraid of charms, like those things and spells, Father Cleopa would advise, don't be afraid of witchcraft, have fear of God and take care not to anger him with sin. Then spells will have not the least power. Confess your sins, fast, Go to the Holy Unction service, and a special note here, in Romania, uh, a lot of the good monasteries actually do a Holy Unction service once a week. Now, there's some Serbians and there's some uh, Russians as well that have this mentality that unction is only when you're dying. Well, that's stupid. Uh, unction is only when you're really sick. That's, that, that's just a stupid. And... Uh, it should only, some even say it should only be done once a year. That's stupid too. And that's not, and we'll see in a minute, that will, that there's a, the, how the Father spoke about these things. Um, so Elder, Elder Cleopa, a great Holy Father, the spiritual father of, whole, of the whole of Romania at the time that he was there, that's the advice he said. Keep the commandments, have fear of God, Confess often, fast, and go to holy unction service. And don't be afraid of witchcraft. Mm. Okay. Elder Thaveos of Serbia was once asked the question, Father, how can we protect ourselves from those who take part in occult practices and who cast spells on us? Answer. The power of magic is effective only when there is no prayer and no strong faith in the Lord. Magic is powerless against those who pray and whose faith is strong. Once a young woman came to see me. She had a degree in political science but was very pious in spite of all her education, meaning the elders trying to say that usually people that are very educated uh, aren't very religious because they're, they're proud that they, that they supposedly know so much, so it's very, it's it's very. Uh, even Elder Paisius, he would respect an educated person who was pious, because they're rare. Uh, however, we read that there are many scientists, even Protestant scientists and other great professors, and a lot of people who have faith. Because the atheists say that only mental people believe, only sick people superstitious people, but yet we have so many great scientists of the past and great people like um, many of our, many, um, well, if you look at American history, many of the uh, generals, many great military geniuses, many politicians, they all had faith. Were they stupid? Were they um, backward? Einstein, all other people, all these people, they had faith in their own way, but they believed in God. Once, yeah, so we got this woman who was, yeah, she was married to a man who had previously been married to another woman. So this was like a second marriage. Her husband was a medical doctor. So she was a political scientist, he was a doctor. His, his first wife had left him only one month after marriage. 
one would have to say, why would, why would she marry him if, she, the other, if the other marriage only lasted a month? But anyway, she did. She married him. Then he married this other girl, this political scientist, this girl, who was pious. He had an older brother who had been married three times, but all his wives were, uh, had abandoned him and he had given up trying to find a wife. So this man, the doctor, this is his second marriage, and his brother had married three times and each one the wife left. So what's going on here? The next two words, of course, will explain. Their mother was also a doctor. The mother, their mother was, a, was also a doctor, a professor at the medical school. However, she was involved in occult practices. She was not living with her sons at the time, but with her sister. Sometimes she would visit her sons. One day she came to visit her son and his new wife. And the young woman sensed that her mother-in-law was upset for some reason. Then the reason for this was revealed. The older woman, <clears throat> the, um, the professor, uh, said to her daughter-in-law, quote, I sent the other one packing in less than a month, but I can't seem to get near you, end quote. This young woman was a firm believer, says Elder Thaddeus, in the Lord. And all the magic spells that her mother-in-law was casting on her had no impact. She was, of course, trying to use the evil powers against the young woman in order that they might frighten her into leaving her husband. However, they could, got, they could not get near her, for she was a woman of prayer. She had given herself over completely to the Lord, and she knew that the Lord would protect her and that the evil spirits had no power over her. When, when, Saint, when Cyprian did magic on St. Justina, she, she actually did feel an attraction towards the man that the magic was done for. Actually, she became inflamed sexually, one can say, inflamed towards that person. And... She says in the life of saint that she did her cross, she prayed, and the iskushenya, as they say in Russian, the um, the pirasmo, the temptation left. Similar thing here to all Orthodox Christians who are pious. Prayer is very powerful, and the purpose that she did was she did magic on. She was doing magic on her so that she can leave. Like the first woman, like the first wife of this man, of the doctor, she left after one month. And the brother, the three of them left. So what happened then was that the powers of evil turned against the mother-in-law. She had no peace, this is true. When those who do magic on someone do it on an orthodox Christian who is living an orthodox pious life, the magic returns back on them, that's for sure. I remember reading a Greek book that there was a magician. I've said this before. A magician had done, someone went to the magician and said, "Go and do some magic," which he did. And then he went. The magician went home, was frying some fish or something like that, and the oil exploded all over his face. And that's because the, they don't know a lot of times who they're doing magic on. But the magic that they that he did was on an orthodox Christian who was strong in the church. So let's continue on. 
She would come, uh, she had no peace. She would come to her son and say to him, you don't love those brats of yours, do you? So she was even against the children. Her son answered, for the love of God, mother, what father does not love his son? You see, she was trying to use her magic spells to make her son hate both his wife and his son. Once he came home, once he came home, the tears streaming down his face. I can't bear being in our apartment. Similar to the other guy in the beginning of the talk. I know that this is all my mother's doing, but, I, but what can I do? Of course, his mother had not brought him up in the faith. He never prayed to God, and all her evil spells turned against him while his wife was at peace. Elder Thaddeus concludes and says, Can you see how powerful prayer is? No evil spirits, no evil spells can touch us if our faith is strong. They only turn back on the person who is trying to harm us through these occult practices. This is true, and I have an example of a person that I was dealing with. This is the same as the, the earlier story about the zombie one, that, that, the, that the woman who married the, that man, anyway. Um, so the mother-in-law did magic so that she can marry the son because the parents of the woman had plenty of money. But the problem was that there was no money coming to her. She got upset. So what she did then is she started doing magic to the opposite to separate them. Now what shall I knew? The mother-in-law uh, said that the that the, because they're having problems in the marriage. Obviously, the problems were coming from this woman dabbling in magic continually, and the the, the couple was fighting continually. There was all these problems, and anyway, so the mother-in-law said that. Um, someone's done magic on you, on, on, on you. So you. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to the graveyard. So off they go to the graveyard. And she found a grave of someone born on the day and month of the woman's uh, husband. In other words, of this, this, uh, the mother-in-law's son. The, yeah, her son. She started doing some prayers over the grave. And she actually said... I'm not allowed to say what the words of the prayer are. Interesting that they often say that. They're not allowed to say what the words are. What are they saying? All the prayers of the church are open. There's no prayers of the church that no one knows what they are. There are no secret prayers in the Orthodox Church. Every prayer is known to everyone. They're in the books. But with magicians, all their prayers seem to be secret. What are they saying? So she uh, went to the grave, put some dirt of the grave in a bottle of wine, and then she gave it to the girl, to her, to the sister, the daughter-in-law, and said, make your husband drink from it three times. Then she had to smash the bottle of wine, all these stupid practices. The mother-in-law would often melt lead and then put it in water and chant something under her breath, and then she would interpret the shape of the lead and from that she would know what magic was done and who did it, supposedly. And this is very dangerous because these people say, for example, this particular dopey person here, 
she would say that it was this person and that person and would make these people hate them. You can, make, you can, cause, a, you can cause a murder. They make things up. It was, your, it was your cousin that did it. It was this person that did it. It's very, very dangerous. You have to have proof for sure. And a lot of times I say to people, it doesn't matter anyway who did it. Just go to the church and you'll see it. It will come off you anyway. This is how I know that something was wrong. The husband would go into fits of anger. And then he would say, I can't stay here. Same words as his other examples. I can't stay here. I have to leave. I have to leave. But I don't want to leave. I want to be with you. But I have to leave. I have to leave. But I love you. But I can't stay here. Things like that. That's, that's, that either the person's mental or there's something demonic going on. And he would often wail, Mama, my mother, my mother's the best. Like that, out of the blue. Wailing and wailing, my mother. Like the cats outside the windows. <laughs> but, and when he would say these things, he would attack his wife. You're the worst. You're a bitch. You're this. You're that. You're the worst. You, you don't like my mother. Mama. Or like that. With prayers, commemorations, confession, holy communion, the marriage improved, and, the, and the, the, the husband even said for the first time, after all that, for all those years, it was mama, mama, after that he said, my mother's evil. I know it's my mother. Similar to the older Thaddeus example. So did the marriage last? Or? Yes, the marriage, the marriage is uh, going. And even though it seems that she was forced to marry him, even though, and that woman had a lot of times thoughts to divorce. By the way, I got, I got her permission to actually, uh, she's not here, but I got her permission to do this. I actually uh, went through it with her to make sure I got the facts correct. That woman often said to me, I'm going to divorce, I'm going to divorce, I can't take it, this and that, whatever. Uh, she suffered a lot. And I said, don't do that. If you want to separate for a while, if you feel that he's dangerous, whatever, you say to him, look, I can't live with you. Go and get some help. Go to the church. Go to a psychiatrist. Go whatever you got to do. Go get the... But for, for my own protection, that. But not divorce. I said, I don't, I don't believe in divorce. So she did. She threw him out. For a while. And then came back humbled. As I said, started going to church. And even though that the marriage wasn't even proper in the first place, but actually they're starting to grow to, to love each other. So they got children, three children, I'm a three, four children. Why would you uh, divorce for, okay, it was wrong, 
But whose fault was that? That was the woman's fault because she was not in the church. She was unprotected. That's why she was like a zombie in, in a trance. That's it. Haven't got time for any more. Um, it's a bit of a shame, isn't it? I thought I was going to finish the whole thing. So on the next talk, I, I am going to go through um, a couple of more examples and especially advice about um, those who think that exorcism is the answer for everything because uh, people often say exorcism, exorcisms and things like that. Uh, and I tell you that um, they're very dangerous things, even for priests. And I will talk about what Father John Christiankin says about something which is higher than exorcisms and safer. And then I will go on to talk about um, the symptoms of possession, um, the danger of witnessing exorcisms because people go and witness these exorcisms either on the internet or in person, like people go to Greece and uh, or Russia and they go and witness these exorcisms, very dangerous because the demon can jump on the person while you're watching. Um, about how priests get attacked after reading exorcisms the common symptoms, because there are symptoms that, some, that people that are possessed have with mental people. You've got to be able to differentiate between the two. And, um, you know, what's, what's the difference between how can you tell when someone's possessed and someone's mentally ill? Because it's so, so subtle at times, you really... Because they act similar. Well, of course, one of them, of course, is the fact that possessed people have extraordinary strength... Uh, um, the um, a mentally ill person has whatever strength they've got. So if, if it's a mentally ill old woman, then that's it. What she's, her strength is what strength she's got. But a, but a possessed old woman can actually you know, throw off three, four men. And as well, mentally ill people can't reveal secrets. While possessed people do reveal secrets, unconfessed sins. So if there's a person there who is, uh, um, if you've got sins that are unconfessed, these possessed people can reveal them publicly. Mental people don't reveal sins. They don't know. How, how do they know what, what's in you? And then we've got, so we've got a lot about that psychological versus magic. Like, as I said, a man might not be able to have sexual relations with his wife. Does that mean he's got magic on him? Could be, as I said, they might be, someone might be losing weight. Does that mean, like we read early on, that it's, that it's, uh, that it's magic? Things like that, have got to be very careful of that. Then we've got a test that the um, pre-revolutionary Russia would use to be able to differentiate between possession and mental illness. They used to use a certain test using holy water. And things like that. So, unfortunately, I'm upset that I didn't finish it because I mucked me up for my program. But it doesn't matter. We will uh, carry on in the next talk. Talk 59. Any questions? I have a, like a little story. I knew a young fellow 
who was going to church, the commune, every liturgy. Used to have all icons in his room and prayer ropes and very, you know, he went to Greece, went to Manathos, went to monasteries. And uh, his Yaya, his grandmother in other words, um, she was involved in that stuff. These people that were very close to Turkish areas, a lot of them, they, they're really into it. Anyway, she was into that stuff. And I had a, a feeling that she could do things. And I said to him, better to watch out because this, your, you know, your grandma, unfortunately, she was upset because the young fellow was going to church and this silly person said, oh, he's going to become a monk or a priest or something. And she was scared. Anyway, so even though this person... So anyway, one day this person rang up a friend and says, can you come to my place? So they went to, went to the place and the friend saw these boxes everywhere and says, what are, what are these? He goes, these are all my icons, these are all my spiritual books, my prayer ropes, everything. And the friend was shocked. What's wrong? He goes, you're either in it or you're not. You're either in it or you're not. What's this abrupt change? It wasn't that abrupt. I mean, you could see something was going on. That's why I knew something was wrong. And he said, um, he gave away everything. He left nothing. Cassettes back in those days. Cassettes. Holy oils. Whatever he had, they were all in the boxes. He says, take them, they're yours. That's it. And then he went to take off the cross that he, was, that he had. He had a cross, which the cross is those crosses, some of them which have a little screw here and you open them up and some people put holy things in there, like a relic or something like that. And he said, oh, you can have this too. And he went to take off the cross and he goes, no, no. So he gave away everything. He goes, no, not this. I'll keep this. My yaya gave it to me. So why would you give away every single religious thing you've got but you don't give away the cross which Yaya Maya gave? So you have to question what's in that cross. That's it. He said bye-bye and he left. Now, the question I want to ask you is Elder Cleopa, Elder Paisios, and all these elders, saints, Elder Thaddeus, they all say that if a person prays, if the person communes, if the person confesses, etc., that these powers don't have, they don't have power. Then why did this person leave the church? Why did this thing help? Why did, the, why did it work? Does anyone know? He didn't have faith. <sighs> That's true, you know, he didn't have faith. There was, there was a lack of faith there. We're getting there, yes. Something to do with confession. He confessed all he no, he confessed. He confessed, but there was something wrong, which is where I was going to come to after. It's too late now, which will come into the next talk. That's true as well. He was a very proud creature, and that that causes a lot of problem. And the problem where Elder Paisio says, which we'll read next week is there must be a spiritual life, must be with sincere repentance. 
he was confessing, he was communing, but there was not a sincere confession in his spiritual state. He didn't open up to the priest his spiritual state, whether he had lack of faith or whatever he had. He should have said that, I lack faith. Sometimes I, have dis- I don't have belief. And also, he was a Pharisee. He would go to church, and I often would say to him, don't do that. He would go to church, and he would always have this big prayer rope showing in front of everyone. I said, don't do that, because it makes you proud. So he'd be up there, and he'd be there so everyone can see, and everyone used to look up to him. Oh, what a religious young man. And so therefore, his life had become that of the Pharisees of old. Now, we all have Pharisaism in us. We all have. To some extent. But we have to battle with it. We have to look at it as worse than, worse than cancer. Some people say, oh, the cancer, no, that's the worst. No, no, worse than cancer is Phariseeism. That's the one that Christ vomits out. And unfortunately for this young fellow, which I warned, is that he was a Pharisee. He did everything correct in the sense that he would, he would pray and he would do all these things and commune often, oh, very often. But he wasn't cultivating an inner life and he wasn't fighting his pride, which was what Irene said here, and he wasn't confessing properly, is correct. His faith was low, that's correct. And basically he, he lost grace. So that's very, very important. Communion, confession, people treat sometimes as they do, like even coming to a priest, people come to me and they go, oh, I've got this problem, can you help me? As if I'm, and they actually, and even all the Thavel says, as he goes, they come to me as if I'm a, I'm a magician. He actually used to tell them off. He goes, go away. They don't want to change their lives. They just want the priest to wave a wand, like Harry Potter, wave a wand and say, you know, I get rid of all the magic. You don't have to worry about anything. Don't worry about the commandments. Don't worry about confession, proper confession. And, and um, don't worry about whether you've got pride or whatever. You do whatever you want. And you just go to the priest and it's all over. And St. Saint, um, Elder Porphyrus was against that. Elder Paisus was against that. A lot of the elder elders were against that. And they even treat exorcisms the same. Just read me the exorcism, people would say. I just want this thing off me. But how about change of life? Just read the exorcisms. No way. Stand up. So the next talk, God willing, is October, the long weekend, October the 6th. The next day is there's no work. So maybe we can go longer. <laughs> maybe, we can, maybe we can try one o'clock in the morning. Uh, through the... Uh, through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, and save us. Amen.